CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Well, Nick Dembski dropped the mic and we're picking it back up to bring you episode number 100 of the Canadian Football Countdown. And let's let's get right to it. Hear ye, hear ye. The drought is over. The drought is over. The drought is over. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are Grey Cup champions. Mike, can you believe it? Um, no, we're a few days removed from this, and I still cannot stop smiling. Me as well, me as well. It's been a fun week this far. I, I can't stop crying either at times. Yeah, a couple of tears were shed. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, Canadian Football Countdown, proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, welcome to our big 100th episode, everybody. Uh, three hours long. You've probably seen that in the time format already, and you're thinking, what are we going to talk about for three hours? Well, uh, conveniently, so fitting that episode 100 comes when the Bombers win their first Grey Cup of our lifetime. Of course, we are based here in Winnipeg, so uh, we're Bomber fans, obviously. Uh, Mike got to go to the Grey Cup in Calgary. So we'll hear about his experiences from there. I've taken in uh, welcoming the team back at the airport this week, uh, going to the Grey Cup Parade on Tuesday, and uh, we've got some more fun events to attend this weekend. So uh, a lot of fun stuff going on right now. Of course, we'll talk about all of that. Uh, we'll get into talking about the 2019 season as a whole, and we'll get into talking about the uh, the offseason a little bit and what we expect to see and maybe what we're going to do uh, on the podcast this offseason, all over the course of three hours. Of course, you'd probably get sick of hearing just us by the end of three hours. So we do, of course, have some special guests to bring in for the podcast here today. Uh, we, we teed it up on Twitter. We promised it. Uh, Three-hour episode, biggest guest lineup we've ever had. Over the course of the show today, you will hear from uh, Bombers Director of Content, Ed Tate. Uh, that will be coming at the end of our number one, uh, and then we'll get into talking with our CFPN fantasy champion for the inaugural season, Safamod from the Piffles podcast. Uh, we'll chat with him about his uh, remarkable fantasy championship run and uh, how he's how he's celebrating that. And then uh, a little later on in the show, around hour number three, we'll have a chat with TSN's Dave Naylor. Looking forward to speaking with all of those guests, and we'll uh, and we hope you enjoy this show. First of all, Mike, 100 episodes. What do you make of hitting this century mark? Well, it's just, it's a very humbling, uh, humbling uh, honor. I don't know if you want to call it an honor to do 100 episodes, but also so the dedication to the craft that is the show. Uh, for those that don't know, Ryan puts. For the majority of the work on this show. Um, so let's dip that out of the way. But, you know, when I think back from where we came from, we kind of, uh, uh, we kind of 
come a long way. Like if you listen to number one, and you probably listen to the end of this show, you'll notice some format tweets for the better. And I think over the next hundred, our challenge is going to be to make it even better. Now, speaking of episode number one, if you'd like to listen to episode number one, you now have the opportunity to do so because uh, in celebration of episode 100, we have upgraded our subscription service. Uh, We are now using Podbean as our main hosting service here. And uh, all 100 episodes of the Canadian Football Countdown are now available for you to go back and listen to. So uh, we invite you to do so. And... uh, Every new episode will be coming out there as well. So uh, exciting times here, uh, getting into the off season. But Mike, Grey Cup week, last minute, all of a sudden, you tell me you're headed to Calgary. <laughs> First of all, what? When did you get to Calgary? Um, for the record, I got to Calgary. Oh boy, shall we say five and a half hours prior to tip-off? So. Yeah, it wasn't uh, exactly the closest and the most convenient of arrivals, but uh, a busy work schedule uh, did not permit me from going uh, any sooner than that. Uh, We did have a bit of a a flight adventure in the morning. Actually, started on Saturday night. We were supposed to fly direct to Calgary. And then I did a text message notification that said, please phone your airline. We have tweet your flight a little bit and I'm going oh dear uh, please don't tell me it's going to be Sunday night now because that makes the whole trip irrelevant so long story short we left at the same time had to go to Edmonton and then from Edmonton to Calgary so we arrived sometime in and around 9.30 in the morning 9.45 and now people have to remember, right, the, the, the time change between Winnipeg to Calgary actually meant that it was the middle of late afternoon tip-off. So it's not like here, right, where it's 5 o'clock, it's, it's 4 o'clock, and then, you know, you get into the stadium and, and the ride there. Like, I'll have some comments about that later on where I think Winnipeg could do a little bit better with um, transportation to the game. Granted, it was great top, but... I mean, the whole experience that getting there and first thing was getting into Winnipeg Airport at 4 in the morning and I'm wearing my bomber jersey and one of the ladies said, you're not going to the game, are you? Did they see what we're pulling up to an Edmonton date? We go, yeah. And I said, oh, and then she said, end end the drought, right? End the drought, finish the job. And, and, And I think as a whole, next thing you knew, but we were one of the early one star dates, so right before I'd say right before we boarded the plane, more bomber fans showed up and I'd say about a quarter of the airplane when it when it was all said and done where people going going to the great cup and you know, bomber fans had this genuine smile on their faces that yes, we're going to the great cup and yes our team has a chance to end the end the drought. So, you know, from my perspective it was the had the day considering I didn't get finished my work stuff until uh till three fifteen, so I slept for forty five minutes before we had to go. So, you know, that whole day running on about forty five minutes of sleep, not ideal, but I'll tell you what story, but ending was worth it. 
Yeah, and I think uh, the adrenaline pumping through the veins after uh, watching that Grey Cup win live. First of all, this was your first game in a different stadium correct. in a different city, correct? Yep. Uh, so I'm sure the, that that uh, combined with the drought being over was enough adrenaline to push you through right. that and, lack of sleep. And, and for people that don't realize, I, I have a physical disability, cerebral palsy, so it really limits my movements as far as, you know, walking long distances. To me, none of that painted this, like none of those, the general soreness, if you will, of walking long distances even really hit me both you know, getting to the stadium and leaving. So it was pure adrenaline. And then the odd part was, oh, you know, you didn't feel it when the adrenaline wears off, right? And even waking up Monday morning was like, oh, this is Monday morning. I'm expecting pain. It just never came. And it just goes to show, you know, the adrenaline. But, Ryan, I have never – I've been to games in Winnipeg. But I felt like I was at IG Field. That's how many Bomber fans there were. There were everywhere. And I saw jerseys from every, basically every Canadian team. The only thing that really disappointed me, and I don't want to slam a certain team because I know they've had problems that are well documented. I only saw one or two article jerseys out of everybody everywhere I went. Every other team was fairly fairly well represented, but uh, it's unfortunate the Ardo didn't have that bit of a, of a representation, and I hope the CFO will work to rectify that. Well, we know there was at least one Argos jersey there donning Kevin Glenn's number on yes. the back because, of course, the Grey Cup week was the debut of the Wandering Glens put together by uh, our friends here in the Canadian Football Podcast Network, so... Uh, I I heard it was a lot of fun, a lot of success. Uh, lots of people wanted to take pictures with the Wandering Yeah, I, I didn't even see, I don't, I don't even recall seeing any of them at the James. So if they were there, sorry I missed you. But uh, no, the, the, this is not a, a Glenn Ardo jersey that I saw. These were yeah, genuine Ardo fans. Yeah, the Wandering Glens, uh, interviews on CBC, Global TV, uh, everywhere, 630 Chet even I hear. Uh, it's great to see the exposure it got because I, I, I think we all love and appreciate Kevin Glenn for, for what he's been, right, in the CFL. And, I, I, and, and getting the endorsement from Kevin Glenn himself was, the, I think, the best part of it. So Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think he said somebody effective only in the CFL or something, or this is why I love the CFL. Or I, I remember seeing earlier in the week before I left. Yeah, it's one of those things where... You know, it's something truly great about Grey Cup Week when you have stuff like that. And uh, I, I'm sure it will be coming back in the future. And I, I'm hoping I can make my way to the Grey Cup one of these years and uh, become a wandering Glen myself. Uh, another uh, thing that came out this week at Grey Cup also was the 2019 CFPN trading cards. Uh, so our cards are out there. They uh, A bunch have been handed out. Uh, if you... Uh, if you happen to pull any of ours, uh, feel free to tweet us at CFC on Mike FM. Send us a picture of you with the card. We want to we want to know who got our trading cards. Haven't so, heard of anybody. No, people out there have cards with our faces on it. How do you feel about that? I feel like mm-hmm. I asked you this last year. Well, I I don't think you think you did, or I think you may not have. It's 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 a weird feeling. It makes me feel like a hockey player, right? Because 
you know, the more common cards out there are hockey cards when you when you get them get them from Tim Hortons, but without watering too far. It's 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 a unique circumstance. Take us through your experience of the actual game in the stands. Uh, what was it like watching the win live? And uh, you got to uh, interact a little bit with a couple of the players after the game there. What was that like? Ah, it's just... You don't realize how much of an event, how Canadiana the Grey Cup is until you're there. And I don't mean to disrespect when you and I were there when the Edmonton Eskimos won in Winnipeg, but this was just entertainment at a whole new level. And maybe because I was sitting at the 40-yard line, eight rows up, I, I, right, basically everything happening right in front of me, thanks to uh, some incredible connections first off. Um... But, you know, it, it's a whole different can of potatoes when your team is involved. And, you know, just getting there itself, right? Like, Bombers are in the great cup. Probably not going to do well based on what I was hearing in the in the pregame show before going over to the stadium. Oh, the Bombers have their work cut out for them. You know, it, it's just setting up to be a... Great, great for the experience. Not going to get the end result. And I have never seen, it was mostly, I think due to geographical context, it was mostly Western Canadian jerseys, like Riders, Stamps, Eskimo, just a little bit of the BC Lions, but not an awful lot. Uh, I thought there was a BC Lion. Jersey, uh, two rows to the side, two rows to the right side of me. It was an old big hill. But ironically enough, he wasn't cheering for the Bombers. He was cheering for Hamilton. What? Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. And mo- most of them, by and large, were Calgary Stampede jerseys, rightfully so. Um, but what I couldn't believe was when Dane Evans took the first snap of the football game. You know how they encourage noise for the defense? Yeah. I, I could not get over how loud it was. And this wasn't just from the 10 to 15 to 20,000 Bomber fans that were there. These were full-on Calgary fans, full-on Saskatchewan fans, which really surprised me, trying to make it miserable for Dean Evans. And, you know, they get those two runs to, to, to Sutton, and you're thinking, okay, you know, get a start. You know, it's it's early. Let's see what happens. And then all of a sudden, the roar when Brandon Alexander pitched that pass off. All the Bomber fans on their feet. Everybody just making noise. And Zach Kalaros comes on the field to, to terrific ovation, you know, and... And then they forced the punt, and people angry with the Willie Jefferson penalty, and it was a penalty. People in the park didn't seem to see it. I, I saw it after the fact. Yeah, uh, yeah he, it was a penalty, yeah. Uh, Michael Shea didn't seem to like it, but it was a penalty nonetheless, and I just said, oh, boy. I, I turned around. To, my dad actually went with me, and I said, I hope this doesn't turn into one of those. You had him off the field, but they get an extra life, and they score, and then... Oh, Jefferson literally blew up that end on the right side on the next play and forces the fumble. Big Hill recovers, and 
and then uh, Andrew Harris, the first first or second play to drive. They were the first one to do right down to the 17-yard line or whatever it was, and then Harris takes it in, and just the eruption of, you know, being up 7 nothing early, and I, I think, to be honest with you, the noise uh, flustered Hamilton a little bit. I don't think they were expecting it to be, you know, advantage of Winnipeg to the extent that it was, and... I just think that the one thing that really concerned me was when the Bombers forced those three turnovers in the first quarter, I was concerned that they weren't building a big enough lead based on what Hamilton was capable of. And to me, I saw a side of Dane Evans that whether it was crowd noise, whether it was nerves, whether it was whatever, whatever the case may be, Dane Evans just was never comfortable. And Bombers went after him like... They snapped, bang, they would go right after him. Like, there was you, there was an instantaneous pass rush. And, and the fact that, uh, I think it's right for Matthews on the end, one of the ends, and then Chris Van Zyl on the other end. Yeah. Those two guys had no idea what was coming from Justin Jeffcoat and, uh, Willie Jefferson made their night miserable and made them rethink about, you know, lining up every snap and having to worry about, you know, and I, I saw on a couple of occasions that it was right in front of me. And and these linemen, like, they don't take a penalty, but they are they had the ball snapped. And, Ryan, you can see my, my hand motion. They're looking around to see where Jefferson and Jeff Code are. Like, it's in the head of, okay, these two guys are coming. And Dane Evans is just flustered all night long. What surprised me was the Bombers were only up by... Five after the first quarter, like it wasn't over by any stretch, and and I'm surprised that you know Hamilton didn't have guys on the sideline that said, "Hey, you know, as bad as we played in that first quarter, we're right in this. Like we don't need to. Like to me, I'm just floored that they abandoned Terrell Sutton for the most part after that. I'm floored that Dane Evans basically didn't put that, you know." in the back of his head and not worry about it. And to me, what really turned the game and got everybody in, engaged in that play was Cedric Hansen blowing up that uh, the peel blocks. And he hits those two guys at the same time. Medium. I thought he hit one guy, but he hit both of them. Like, let's, let's put it this way. If you have been skeptical at all down the way about Randy Ambrosi's vision for CFL 2.0. Look at Theadric Hansen because that he's that's not the first big play he's made this no. year for the Winnipeg Blue no. Bombers. The no, German you... linebacker has uh, made some great plays this season, and that was a huge hit. And I agree, it turned the tide of the game. It seemed to me, watching it on TV from my home, like the Bombers were just like a team possessed. I mean, you add Harris, you add. You know, Dempsey, and I'll get to Harris in a minute. I was actually very disappointed in Andrew Harris. I'll uh, expand on that later on. Um, But the thing is, in the CFL, you have to be one step ahead of your opponent all the time. Whether it was Richie Hall, whether it was Paul Apolles, whether it was Michael Shea, they had those coordinators for Hamill on the sidelines scratching their head and trying to come up with contingent contingency plans and 
let's not dispute the fact that Satellaros was there, and there was a big, big, um, Painter with a second down play. The Bombers didn't score on this drive. He hits Rasheed Bailey. Why um, Painter was Rasheed Bailey or it was, uh, no, it was, uh, the other, the newer guy, Lawler. He hit Lawler and he's throwing it and the ball's coming right at us where we're sitting in the stadium. And Lawler, forgive me if it's not Lawler, but he goes right up and you can just see it, like, he is going to come up with this football one way or another. It wasn't the touchdown. It was a deep throw. And he just gets one step ahead of this defender, gets up, comes down with a football, lands with it on two feet, and the stadium just big plays like that to extend drives to make sure that Dane Evans was not on the field was a big part. And I know Tolaros, Tolaros and Nichols, they're so much alike, right? It's game manager managing the game at that point and speaking of game manager how about uh matt nichols at the gray cup parade yesterday unzips his jacket and he's wearing the game manager shirt underneath (laughs) well we'll get into talking more about the parade and all that in a bit but to me like i'll go and say this the first offensive play of the bombers i knew it was going to be a good day after that play, right. you have the, what was it? Was it a direct snap or no? no it was a pitch forward to Jernarian Grant, who I don't even know if he had gotten an offensive play all year, maybe a couple due to injury. Yeah, it was a reverse sweep. So they That picked up a first so down So they there. snapped the ball, and then he turned around and flipped it to him. So right then and there, I'm already seeing, okay, Paul Apolis is ready to go again, right? Yeah, because... <laughs> I made the comment, although you don't want to make the comment too early, and you made this comment last week or the week before. Uh, Paul Apolis is toying with the opposition. There were a couple tendency breakers. There was that play, and then there was the bomb by Strevler in between two defenders and the goalpost into the arms of Andrew Harris. And, you know, to me, I don't want to say the game. I'll say this, I, I was very comfortable with where we were after the Bombers came out of the half and tipped that field goal. Because the Bomber defense was doing a great job of keeping Hamilton out of the end zone. And I don't know about you, but I don't have a single worry. I know he missed that long field goal to, to, to start the game. But I don't have a worry with Justin Medlock inside the 40-yard line. Not, not not, in a game like this. And to me, I just kept thinking, right, if the Bombers can add on field goals and Hamilton can't, you know, sustain anything, just keep adding well, on. Well, it's, it's the same thing as the week before against Saskatchewan where the Bombers were up by s- seven, yeah. back to seven, back to ten. And, and that's where I get this game manager, right, because they didn't turn the ball over. They were smart with their possessions. They were... Um, there were a couple drives starting inside the 10-yard line, and they didn't score, but, you know, they moved the ball 35 yards methodically. And, I mean, let's just get to Andrew Harris right now. I mean, I watched him on the, on the, on the sideline during the anthem, and, and he, it was clear to me that his mind was somewhere else. Uh, and his mind was uh, nowhere, on nowhere else than winning that football game at all costs. And, and it started right with that 15-yard run to open the scoring uh, 
Andrew Harris was not going to be denied. Yeah, and it was, uh, you know, it's interesting because you got a chance to talk with him when he was here in C- for CFL Week back in 2017. Uh, and it was very clear back then. It's been very clear all along the way, ever since he came here in 2016, Winning a Grey Cup in his hometown meant so much to Andrew Harris. And he finally got the shot and play in the game. And the dude balled out. Like, he he was a monster out there. And, and, and it's interesting to me that two of the guys who made the biggest impact in the Grey Cup game are, I mean, sure, we'd expect them to because it's Andrew Harris and it's Willie Jefferson. But these are also two guys who, compared to normal, had very quiet performances in the first two games of the playoffs, right? Uh, it's, it's almost like, you know, teams had game plan against them and game planned against them for those first two games in Calgary and Saskatchewan. And, and I'm sure Hamilton did as well, but these guys were just, they just burst out and they got it done. Yeah, the other night, I mean, even had a really monster game with those under the radar, Nick Dembski. Um, goodness, how many times over the middle on a sweep, on a hitch, on a... Um, but to me, the bomber defense, there, there's not much to be said. And maybe Michael Shea was right all along. Because remember when they when they wanted Richie Hall fired? Well, I don't hear that. In fact, I didn't hear a word of that at the parade or uh, after the game. And I mean, it's just just generally like you, you write a storybook about you know how you want a great top game to go and. A lot of people did not expect the domination, but the Bombers ended up uh, dominating with, and I don't, I don't want to say it was easy by any means, because there were plays that could have turned that game in a real hurry, and the other thing I kept saying in mind is, oh boy, I hope he's not scoring on these turnovers and going to hurt the Bombers, but uh, no, they just, they just made big plays when it counted, and it was almost like Hamilton, I don't know, there was so much, oh, it could be Hamilton to win, Hamilton to win, Hamilton to win, and it was almost like by having to do very little, the Hamilton tied a test spot, they were going to win, and obviously that's not the way it turned out, and to me the big play was Brandon Alexander, figuratively speaking, punching Dane Evans and saying, no, you know what? You want to win this game? You can't throw interceptions like that. And then it was Willie Jefferson coming and saying, you want to win this game? You can't leave that football there for me to watch out. It was like it was like the Bomber team as a whole were angry that they were so disrespected. And I think, the, I don't want to say the pressure got to Hamlin. I, I just thought Hamlin, was, Hamlin thought they were going to win the game by just showing up. I said this on Twitter this after the game already, and I'll say it again here. Perhaps there is no person on that team I am more happy and excited for right now than defensive coordinator Richie Hall because he has. Did you happen to see the emotion from his coming from his face? No. After the game? No, I I, I didn't see that, but uh, oh my goodness, he's watching on the field and it's full on waterworks. Oh, I believe like he it. doesn't know how to handle himself kind of thing. Well, I mean, he's been under so much scrutiny over his time here in Winnipeg. Like, every season, essentially, he's had people calling for his job, um, people not believing in his system. Because, to be fair, for many years, his system has been 
you know, give up the big yards, give up the big plays, can't get the stop when they need it. Like, we've heard this over and over, and we've seen this over and over again. He's mm-hmm. been under so much scrutiny. This year has been especially difficult for Richie Hall with the loss of his brother. We know he took some time away from the team for that. Like, it's been a rough couple of years. It's been a rough year for him. And what did he do? He went out to three road playoff games and put on a master class of a defensive they beat big the, play they, scheme. They beat the three best teams in the CFL one after the other. And uh, gave up, what, 14, 13, and 12 points mm-hmm. in those three games? And, and turned turn the ball over once, and that was a respectful turnover on downs in the fourth quarter. Yeah, well, the turnover, or the lack of offensive turnovers isn't a credit to Richie Hall. That's right. a credit to the Bombers' offense. But the number of turnovers they forced as right. well, wasn't it something like 13, 14, yeah, I think it was? Yeah, plus 16, I think, something at the like end that. of like, it. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Things seem to be rolling on... All cylinders for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And, and I think, let's not kid ourselves, the adversity this team and the culture, the Andrew Harris PED suspension, uh, the death of Richie Hall's brother, the death of Paul Apolice's mother, which was, re- which was brought back to my recollection during a post-game interview on TSN, uh, and Michael Shea, you know, managing the team in that way, and they had that those games, but they lost to Toronto, those games, but they lost to, uh, there's another bad one in there, too. Uh, Montreal. Montreal. Um, they're 11-7 and record that the Bombers had, to me, I think was fool's gold as to how good they were. You know, you take out those two teams, they're 11-5, and five. um, they had a lot of adversity going on throughout the year. Uh, Chris Matthews, right? I mean, everybody was like, oh, why'd you get rid of Chris Matthews, right? And and his replacement was she Bailey. And I have a video of this, which uh, I made public on my social media. I might make it public on the Canadian Football Countdown part, uh, Twitter feed. But just the emotion of she Bailey uh, after the game, he comes over. And they have these TV partition boxes, if you will, which hold the camera, which hold the cameras and stuff. So they're climbing on them to get up into the stands. And Rasheed Bailey doesn't even know. I don't think at this point what he's done. I don't think any of them knew the gravity of what they had done. Like it's it's one thing to win a great cup, but it's another to realize. A great cup where you've ended a 28-year drought. 29. Oh, yeah, because I've forgotten. Ah, 29-year drought. It's zero now. Right. <laughs> but, and then and then you hear, I don't know if you caught that comment inside the three-minute warning on the TV broadcast where they played about Michael Shea, right? People, you know, spending money on this team, being invested in this team, you know, telling their draft grandparents, you know, they hope the grandparents are around for for one more great cup, you know, to experience it with them, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, you can go back and uh, and watch it. Uh, I don't think the players knew at the time the gravity of what they had accomplished. I did one thing to win a great cup, but to end a 29-year drought, uh, all I can say is, if and when the Leafs ever win a Stanley Cup, those players better be ready for to realize the gratitude 
of what they're going to accomplish. Yeah, I'm scared for the city of Toronto if that ever happens. See, um, and, and that's an interesting thing. And then Kalaros came over, and you can catch us on the same video clip. But he, he goes basically and high-fives everybody and, and screaming, and he's happy. And I mean, just that, right? You talked about the, the Paul Apolis, then you talked about the Richie Hoff, then you talked about the Andrew Harris, then you talked about the Matt Nettles. We haven't even talked about the redemption story of it's at Kalaros. And, and if you were to write a Hollywood script about a football team winning their first championship in 29 years, I don't think anybody ever said it would be easy. And Obama certainly took the hardest road to get there. But it's honestly, it's been the most fitting. Like, having time to reflect on it today and time to reflect on it the last couple of days in Calgary, I don't know if there's a better story about ending for any 29-year great Cup drill. Well, and, and you mentioned that you, the players didn't maybe didn't necessarily realize the gravity of, holy crap, this is, we, we did this, and how much this means to the city right when the game ended. If they didn't realize it then, which I think a lot of them did, they realized it when they came back to Winnipeg Monday and, and afternoon. And that's, that's exactly what it is. And I don't, when I say they don't realize it, I mean, it's one thing to have ten or 15,000 Bomber fans in the first three rows of McMahon Stadium all the way around. And, you know, they're coming a high five. But, hey, when it, when they go into the locker room and they show the Bomber players what's going on at Port of Germain in Winnipeg on Sunday night, and then they come here yesterday and they just have the – they a lot of them didn't even know what to say. Yeah, so I, I had the pleasure of getting to uh, meet the team at the airport when they landed on Monday and then uh, hitting up the Forks for the Grey Cup Parade. Uh, Story time with Ryan starts now. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was surreal. Just the welcome they got when the team came in through the airport. Uh, the place was packed. Uh I'm never good at guessing numbers in a crowd, but I want to say there is at least a thousand people at the airport uh, waiting for the team. Uh, I know some people who had lined up there at uh, 1 p.m. already, uh, and the team wasn't landing till three, uh, just to wait for the team. They had Ace Burpee there. They had the RCF band there, uh, RCAF band, sorry, um, and then the team walks out. And first of all, we're all standing there and waiting and waiting. We're like, where's the team going to come out? Uh, are they going to come down the stairwell? Or are they going to come out the back tunnel? And every time somebody comes down the stairwell and it was just, you know, regular people uh, landing, coming into the airport, they get a standing ovation because everybody's just so excited to be there. And uh, <laughs> and you, you hear tons of chants going on as they're waiting, you know. Uh, we won the cup uh, was a frequent one. Uh, the good old let's go bombers, and then uh, the uh, O'Shea, 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 O'Shea. That <laughs> yeah, one, that, that happened, one rung out. That happened at the at the stadium too on Sunday. Yeah, uh, and then plenty of times throughout the parade on Tuesday, and then the team walks out and just like the outpouring of cheers and support as this team gets off their plane and. They make their way to the stage, and I, I was a bit off to the other side of the airport there, so I didn't really get to see the stage too closely when they went, when they went up there. But uh, they broke the Grey Cup, 
uh, it's kind of a rite of passage at this point. You don't truly win the Grey Cup unless you break it, right? Is that any trophy, though? I don't know. Does the Stanley Cup break that much? I have does the NBA trophy break that much? Because you can't exactly do a ton with the NBA trophy. You can't drink out of it. You can't swim in Mario Lemieux's pool with it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe you could, but... No, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I've heard of the World Series trophy breaking. It's possible, I guess. I mean, who knows what people do in their celebrations with the trophy, but... Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, so there's a bit of a celebration on stage. You know, a couple players give some speeches on stage. A couple of them make their way down the line, high five, sign some autographs, take some pictures, etc. Some of them, like, completely understandably, a lot of them left the airport pretty quick because, let's be real, these guys didn't sleep the night before. I guarantee that. Uh, some of them, I'm sure, were trying to get home to their loved ones as well if they weren't able to make the trip necessarily to Calgary as well. Uh, so some of them dipped out pretty quick there, but then you had a couple of guys that just stayed around longer than the others. And two in particular, first of all, like Willie Jefferson made a trip around for a little bit to the group and then I didn't see him anymore. So I had assumed he got, was gone, but I'll get back to that one later. And then there's Chris Strebler and I have so much to talk about with Chris flipping Strebler from the, the past three days. Would it be fair to suggest that? He's Winnipeg's version of Alex Ovechkin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is very accurate. Except uh, Alex Ovechkin uh, went back to playing hockey once the season started. I don't know if Chris Strebler will ever stop partying this great cup win. He he is living his best life right now. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's incredible to think this backup quarterback, who, by the way, and a crazy statistic, and, and unless I'm wrong on this, is the first quarterback ever to catch a pass in the Grey Cup game. Right. And to a touchdown. And through a touchdown pass, even though his job is mostly to run as a backup. He he comes out to the parade, and he's wearing his cowboy hat, or sorry, to the airport, and he's wearing his cowboy hat, and he's walking around, and he's limping down the line of fans because... I mean, his foot is still probably broken. Not that that stopped him from kicking the door open, wearing his fur coat, no shirt, and uh, his sunglasses while carrying the cup in Calgary, which, oh, that's just another thing that was a thing of beauty. Well, he better stop partying in tune and get his body fits. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he's limping his way down the lines, and he's making time for everyone. I got, I managed to get a get a high five from Chris Strebler. I actually got him to sign my jersey, which was a pretty cool experience. To, first signature on the new jersey was Chris Strebler, and I'm pretty pumped about that. And then uh, so so he, uh, at some point he's like, "All right, guys, I gotta go. My car is waiting for me." And he's starting to limp his way out, and then I guess he needed to make a stop at the washroom before leaving. So he, he walks into the washroom, and a couple minutes later, he walks back out to another standing ovation. <laughs> like, you know you're a local superstar when you get a standing ovation when you walk out of a washroom. <laughs> And he comes back out and he's making his way and more people are taking more photos, signing more autographs with people. I'm pretty sure I overheard somebody say that Chris Strebler missed the team bus. Yeah. Back uh, to the stadium. Back to the stadium. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Willie Jefferson comes out of nowhere again. He's still there. He's still signing pictures, uh, signing autographs, taking pictures with everybody. 
at that point, and everybody's crowded around. And you could tell he was exhausted, but he was still making time for all of the fans. Uh, I managed to get a picture with Willie Jefferson. You can see it as my Twitter profile picture now. Uh, I managed to get him to autograph the jersey as well. And, you know, seeing these two guys that were such an integral part of the Grey Cup win and really have become local celebrities take the time to interact with all of the fans. Like, I mean, I don't know what a championship victory in sports is like because this is the first one we've ever had here besides the gold eyes. Back to back. Back to back years. Like, I don't know what it's like for other leagues, but like stuff like this and stuff like the stuff we saw at the parade on Tuesday, which I'll talk about next here. Like, I feel like you don't get that in other leagues. The interaction between the players and the fans, like everything about the speeches at the Grey Cup parade on Tuesday was whether it was Mike O'Shea, whether it was Andrew Harris, Willie Jefferson, Nick Dembski, the recurring theme of the things they said was this Grey Cup is yours, Winnipeg. This one is for you, right? They, they made it all about the fans. They took the time to interact with the fans. What an experience. Yeah, it's interesting, and I'm watching this. By the way, I didn't get back from Calgary until last night, so I was able to watch a lot of this uh, on video, and, man, it just makes me excited if and when the Jets ever win a Stanley Cup, because then you get the rest of the city on board. Yeah, and, and you know, people were complaining because the Grey Cup parade was Tuesday from 12 Ain't to... Ain't missing work in school part of the fun. Yeah, yeah. Grey Cup was from 12 till 3 on Tuesday. Uh, not an ideal time for a lot of people, especially since the details and the time wasn't announced until 5 p.m. the night before. But... The reason it was so early is because it is American Thanksgiving this week. Uh, so happy Thanksgiving to uh, any of our American listeners, our American friends in the Canadian Football Podcast Network, of course, and uh, all of the American players. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. And yeah, so the players wanted to get home to their families. And, and rightfully so. So, I mean, yeah, I it wasn't an ideal time. But, you know, the players... Gave this city the end of the Grey Cup drought. I think the least we could give them was the opportunity to go home to their families mm -hmm. uh, for Thanksgiving. And, I, mean, and, I mean, if you're a player like Rasheed Bailey, your, bom your bomber journey started in Florida at the minicamp in March. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, there were still a ton of people, despite it being a Tuesday afternoon Grey Cup parade. It was quite the party there at the Forks. Chris Streveler. <laughs> I mean, everybody was pretty pretty up there and partying on stage, but n nobody quite like Chris Traveler. And, and, and he, he comes in again, fur coat, uh, jorts, uh, drinking beer. He's on, he's on the parade float, and you hear him giving a chant as he, that's making its way down the street of, we need more beer. <laughs> a fan passes him a six-pack of beer, and he goes and drinks one and then pours another into another fan's mouth. And and they make their way to the Grey Cup, and uh, he walks in, and you know others give their speeches, and he gets up on there to give his speech, and he does the whole Kawhi Leonard uh, start to the speech from the uh, the Raptors yeah, parade. And I found it I I found it very funny. Uh... Hope it's not a sign of things to come, because Kawhi didn't re-sign with Toronto, but 
Yeah, and we'll get into that, uh, the whole off-season quarterback talk a little more later, especially with some of our guests. Um, everybody was having a great time. The party, the, the parade was a lot of fun. Uh, the players were super pumped to be there. You could tell they, after the party ended, they did leave fairly quickly again, but that's probably because they either A, still needed to do their exit interviews with the team, or B, had early flights out, right? So, um, and then if you're in the case of Lucky Whitehead, he missed his flight altogether. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I found the story on Twitter where Lucky Whitehead was supposed to go, um, I don't know if he was serious or not, but, uh, you know, missed my morning flight at the time in order to force to have a parade instead. Well, he was going to be there for the parade anyways, right? So Yeah, but it was, it was, there, there, there's a lot of people, and I was talking to some people about people who suggested too, but these players work visas to, in order to get their paychecks, they need work visas. A lot of them expire within a few days after the trade top, so... Yeah, you you could see the excitement. You could see the raw emotion on a lot of these guys up there on stage. You could tell a lot of them, some of them really weren't used to this kind of level of spotlight and public speaking in front of this many people. Uh, Mike O'Shea didn't really have a lot to say. Zach Caleros didn't have a ton to say up there. Well, because we, these these are guys that aren't, you know... I think the two guys we you referenced in O'Shea and... Uh... Plus, I, I think they'd rather, you know, keep the spotlight on their team and not necessarily themselves. But you have to remember, these are soft-spoken individuals, but it's not all about themselves either. For sure, yeah. And we see that all season long uh, with them keeping their cool out there. And then you have some of those players. Yeah, Chris Strebler was having a wild time. Andrew Harris, Nick Dembski were pumped up. Uh when Andrew Harris gets ready to give his speech, I forget which bomber it was, but one of them takes one of the band's big drums and puts it over his shoulder and is wearing the drum on the front. And Lucky Whitehead comes up and starts pounding the drum and then MVP chant gets going. And then later on, I mean, Lucky Whitehead's a musical genius because he took the cymbals later on and he starts pounding them together. Like, uh, it was... Like, 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 I'm trying to describe it on the podcast, and I'm not even doing it justice. No, I, it, it was a situation that was 29 years in the making, and for many of the fans that were there, and even some of the players, quite a few of the players probably that were there, this was, so far, a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And I really hope it doesn't end up being a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I love everything that's going on. There's some more celebrations coming up this weekend. There's a Grey Cup social at the convention center on Friday, which I'm going to. Uh, there's a family event on Saturday at the convention center, hoping to go to that as well. Uh, this is a lot of fun. The city of Winnipeg, to quote Chris Strebler, you're all lit right now. I'm lit right now. This city is having a party unlike anything we've seen thus far. And the only thing I'll say here to wrap this up is please, 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 let's not wait 29 more years to do this again. And I think Walters, O'Shea, and Miller, or at least two of the three, but we know of that are under contract next year, are going to make sure that it doesn't last 29 years. Yeah. And we'll get into talking about what this offseason could bring. Well, here, here's just a general question. I know we're getting into offseason and whatnot, but... How much of a marketing tool to the rest of the potential CFL free agents was yesterday's parade? 
pretty big one. But if you do this, this is what you get. Well, I mean, you had Willie Jefferson basically go and say he's never seen something like this before. Like he he wants he and he, he wants played to in be Saskatchewan. back. He wants to be back in Winnipeg next year. He played in Saskatchewan and. Uh... Shubber also saying, this is my home. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. These are my people. Something like that. Um, no, so I I said it to you. I think, and we'll look ahead of the offseason later, but I think this bomb seems to be even better next year than this year. And with that, we'll get into our first interview of the podcast here uh, to chat everything from this season, from the Grey Cup run, from uh, looking ahead to the offseason and some of the free agents here, uh, Director of Content for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Ed Tate. I uh, had a chance to have about a 20-minute chat with Ed, so uh, here's that interview now. And now I'm pleased to be joined here on the podcast by a member of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in the FRC wing and the current Director of Content for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Ed Tate. Ed, first of all, welcome to the show and uh, thanks for joining us. Well, no, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Uh, obviously, the big storyline right now is the end of the Great Cup drought here in Winnipeg, 29 years in the making. And I think the question on everyone's minds is, uh, does uh, does Ed Tate get his name on the Great Cup as director of content? Oh, no. <laughs> That's uh, I hadn't even thought of that, but no, it's only players. I'm not even sure that all the players get their names on the Cup. Uh, I'd have to check on that. It's a good question. I think if I'm not sure if practice roster guys are eligible to be on the cup or not, but uh, it's a, certainly a good question. <laughs> I, th- I think you deserve to be on there. We should make a push for that. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that, but no. <laughs> you, you've been covering this team for a long time. You know, started out with the Winnipeg Sun and then the Winnipeg Free Press here in Winnipeg, and na- and now working directly with the Bombers. Um, it's been a long time coming, this Grey Cup. How does it feel for you, after covering this team for so many years, to uh, to be able to cover this special moment for this city? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question, because uh, my first year on the beat was actually 1990. Um, I had a full head of hair, a flat stomach, uh, <laughs> so things have changed dramatically over the last 29 years for me. Um, you know, when I first started, that was a team... That one in ninety had one in eighty eight had one in eighty four um, in ninety one went to the East Final ninety two and ninety three were in the Great Cup that ninety four team was unbelievable probably one of the better teams I've ever covered lost to Baltimore in the division final and so you're, you're thinking wow this is even though they've only got one cup to show for it this is a damn good team and then. You know, you go through the Reinbold years, the lean years, they, they kind of, they really blew it in 2001, and it just keeps adding on and adding on, and then as that drought continued, um, it, to me, it really became a giant black cloud hanging over the franchise. The franchise could do nothing right in some people's minds, and so, to me, it, there's a sense of accomplishment, but also, I think for the franchise, kind of a sense of relief, too, because... Uh, it, it, it really was a black cloud, and it, and, uh, it just kind of hovered and stuck there forever. And you started to wonder if the team was cursed in a way. Yeah. Um, and so for them to get it done, I think there's you know all kinds of obvious benefits. But just the fact that people will maybe look at this team a little bit, and this franchise a little bit differently than they had before, says something. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, fans have gotten their hopes up certainly several times over the drought. You mentioned 2001. There was the cup run in 2007 and the Kevin Glenn injury. There was 2011. What was it about this season? At what point in this season uh, did it kind of set in for you that this could be the year for the team? I'll be honest. It, it, it took great almost to the final week. Um, so the team, as everybody knows, they jump out to that 5-0 and start and you think, this is the year, this is the year. Uh, and then Nichols gets hurt. They kind of tread water for a while with Strebler. But some, you know, they blew that game in Toronto. That was still with Nichols at quarterback. And they just had that massive meltdown in Montreal. And you start, oh, you start to think about the curse again. And then, uh, so, you know, I think like a lot of people, I was kind of indifferent and thinking, oh, geez, what a, this is going to be a horrible opportunity lost. And then they made the trade for Caleros. Uh, I think like a lot of people, I didn't know what to expect because he hadn't played all year. That game in, against Calgary at the end of the regular season kind of opened my eyes a little bit. But then, And then it started to build, you know. It's not easy to go into Calgary and win. And, and to win a playoff game, it says something. And then you go into Saskatchewan and win the division final, and the belief grows even more. But she's going. I had a good feeling when the team went out to Calgary for the Great Cup but they were still playing a 15 and three team, you know, with all that talent and all those award winners. And uh, to be honest, I didn't really start to get a sense that maybe things were going to turn until the, the days leading up to the game. And just because of how confident they were. And then even in the game, those first few possessions and the way they were getting after Dane Evans, I thought, man, they might be able to win this thing. Now you talked a little there about Zach Claros coming in at the trade deadline, not really knowing what to expect. Uh, I don't know if any of us really expect him to go. What was it, four and zero, uh, and lead the team mm-hmm. to a Grey Cup and play as incredible as he did there? It was remarkable to see. We also saw other guys brought in midway, kind of later in the season, uh, like Nick Taylor, who had a huge impact uh, with the down the stretch there and in the playoffs. And uh, you know, we don't see trades made at the CFL trade deadline too too often uh does you know this situation with some of these guys that make this impact does that maybe change things in the future at all it's an interesting question because the Caleros one was basically the only trade made at the trade deadline and it was kind of almost a a trade made for insurance more than anything Uh, I think the trade deadline's too late in the season I, I believe it should almost be after um the Labor Day games, in, in order for the whoever gets traded to, to have an impact with the, the new team and for it to have some meaning for not just a late season push but into the playoffs. And then you mentioned you mentioned Nick Taylor and Mercy Maston. Sometimes those moves get overlooked, but those guys were just on the street and added, you know, during the summer and added for experience when their secondary got hurt. And to me, it's a little bit of a lesson in that teams across this league have always been so quick to turn over their personnel in the secondary, thinking that um, those guys are easily replaceable. You know, you find good athletes, you find guys that got good feet that can cover and all that stuff. But there's no, uh, you, you can't find that kind of experience and communication. And that was one of the issues we saw with this bomber team is that in the secondary, they were having a lot of busts again. And then you add Maston, you add Taylor, they get back into game shape. You put Brandon Alexander at safety. And man, what a difference to that secondary. So I think that the experience can be undervalued in that position sometimes. And, and I think, so you combine that with the 
trade deadline. And, and those, you're right, those were two two critical kind of uh, moves made by the team to add Caleros and then add uh, pieces in the secondary. Now, if look looking at the Grey Cup run for the Bombers, I, I think a lot of people would probably agree with me that it was almost unconventional for the modern day CFL. And that you, you look at, you know, this has become quite the passing league, big focus on the passing game. Yet the Bombers are the only team in the CFL to not have a thousand yard receiver this year. They have a huge focus on the running game. Obviously, Andrew Harris has a huge season. And uh, the, they have that one-two punch with Chris Strebler and Zach Caleros and Matt Nichols in there earlier in the season. And then on the defensive side of the ball as well, you know, uh, the bend-but-don't-break defense that has uh, Richie Hall has been known for seems to get a lot of flack always, but it clearly worked this year. Uh, have we seen a championship-like team like this in recent history? Uh, you know... That's a, uh, another good question. It's an interesting comparison because I go back to that 90 team that won, and it was, again, built on defense. Same with the 88 team, dominant on defense. Now, the 90 team still had, you know, a, they, they pounded the football with Robert Mims just like this team did, but they had, you know, some targets on offense. You had Danny, McManus, Danny McManus and Tom Burgess throwing to um, Perry Tuttle, James Murphy was hurt, uh, but you had Rick House. You know, there were some still some weapons there on offense. But that team in 90 finished last in scoring um, and, and first in defense, and that's why it won. So it is unconventional because we're used to seeing teams that can really light it up. You know, Bo Levi Mitchell throwing to all those 1,000-yard receivers, Ricky Ray doing the same, Anthony Calvillo, lots of, you know, teams that were – able to win through the air. So it was unconventional. That's the exact word for this, to describe this, because it it, go, it went against the grain of what everybody else was doing. But it was the formula that worked for these guys. And, you know, now we'll see. It's going to be an interesting offseason because we'll see if they kind of stick with that. You know, when you have Andrew Harris and a good offensive line, you're always going to want to pound the football. But I think a lot of people would still like to see them upgrade uh, you know, and, and try to be a little bit more prolific and, and maybe not as one-dimensional as they were this year. Now, get, well, let's get into some of that off-season stuff, as much as I'm sure we all want to keep celebrating this Grey Cup win yeah. as, as much as we can and as long as we can, and hopefully it doesn't take another 29 years to do this all again. But uh, <laughs> looking yeah. at the off-season stuff, uh, we'll, we'll get into the free agents in a second here, but uh, you had a number of guys have outstanding performances in this on this team this season and it, it seems more and more guys are getting NFL shots in recent seasons do you see any players on the Bombers taking a shot at the NFL this year you know it's a it's a good question there's some uh, discrepancy right now about whether that window is open because apparently it was negotiated into the CFL collective bargaining agreement but the NFL hasn't given it the green light yet. So that's really an odd thing that sort of came up during Grey Cup week. I'm not sure where that stands, to be honest. It's not anything I've really looked into yet because we were so fixated on the Grey Cup. But usually what happens is, like, I, I think Willie Jefferson's had his shot. I'm not, you know, and so then you start to, the guys that are in the 25 to 30 range aren't likely going to get another look because they've already probably had their look just because of the age factor. And, you know, there's so many players getting pumped out of the U.S. colleges every year that I don't think a team is going to commit to someone that's 26 or 27 years old. 
when the same type of player is available at 22 or 23. So, you know, you look at the Bombers roster and, you know, there might be a guy here there. Maybe Winston Rose gets a look, but I don't think so. Um, you know, the linebacking core, no. D-line, I don't think so. You know, so, um, and again, as you mentioned, there's nobody on offense that lit it up as a receiver. Andrew Harris is, you know, he's not going anywhere. So I'm not sure that the NFL window is going to bite them, but um, there's going to be a lot of free agency, and there's also the threat now of the XFL although I think it might not have an impact until next year because guys will play their contract out and then maybe try to go there. I think that it's too tight right now for guys to take a shot at the XFL, but if it's still alive uh, after next season, that that might have more of a factor too. So every team's going to have changes, uh, and the Bombers, just as many as, as anybody else, I'm sure, yeah, that was my next question there, actually, is the changes in terms of free agency, because, uh, you know, in the modern day of the CFL, we see so many offseason changes. A lot of guys change teams. Uh, we saw we saw it with Calgary last year, that it's hard to keep that Grey Cup team together. Uh, looking at this list here in front of me, and it's up on the CFL website, cfl.ca slash fa20, for anybody who wants to see it themselves. Uh, There's a fair number of guys here on the list. Uh, Obviously, they won't be able to keep everybody on this list, but how well do you think they'll be able to keep this core intact? Yeah, so here's the the dilemma. You're right. You want to keep a team, when you have a championship team, you want to keep as many of those pieces together. But, you know, everybody gets a raise, basically, you know, from one one year of your contract to the next. There's not many guys that, that don't get, have some sort of raise built in. And it's just impossible in the cap era to keep everybody, to keep everybody happy. Guys are going to leave that, you know, have been backups and think they have a, an opportunity to start elsewhere. Guys are going to get lowballed, you know, under an, in a new, uh, potentially new contract and, and say, no, I'm not taking that. Players are going to move closer to home. All these things happen. I mean, Calgary's a great example. It is really hard to keep a team together, uh, you know, as much as people say, uh, well, they won, they should take a hometown discount or, you know, you want to keep this core intact. It just doesn't work that way for a lot of guys. They have a short time to make money in this career. And so if one team is offering, you know, 15, 20 grand more in this league and the cost of living doesn't kill you, then a lot, a lot of guys are going to willing, are willing to move on. So it will be, fascinating to see how this unfolds because it's not just at one position it's across the board across the depth chart with this team and that's the same with every every team so um it's not just that too you know all those rumors during great cup week about who might get the montreal job and and danny mcmanus ted goodbye and ryan rick made in the the bombers uh scouts basically all had their name linked to that job you know will paul at police leave so uh, the team that we just saw leave the field in Calgary as Great Cup champs might look an awful lot different when training camp opens next May. The the big focus, I think, on everybody's minds when looking at the free agent list is the quarterback position, which mm-hmm. I think was muddied a little bit by uh, by the Grey Cup or and late-season performance by Zach Caleros and Chris Stravler and all of that. Uh, do you have a take for us on uh, how that's going to play out? You know, I don't think any, to be honest, I don't think anybody in the football operations department has a clue yet on this. And I'm, 
I think they're kicking the tires on all kinds of different combinations and ideas. Um, look, when they made this trade for Zach Caleros and there was that condition that if he was to re-sign, he would cost the Bombers a first-round draft pick next year, I think most they, they agreed to that thinking, well, that will never happen. But, <laughs> I mean, I think you have to reconsider it now, right? The guy has gone 4-0 and just won you a great cup. The offense looked uh, a lot more vertical than it did before. Um, I think you have to at least ask Zach Caleros, are you at all, is it possible that you could move out here? And his wife has a a teaching job in Ontario. They have a home there. It's close to Steubenville, Ohio, where he is. But I think it's a question you have to ask. Would you consider it? And then then the the flip side of that that is, do the Bombers... uh, you know, is there what's the danger there in hitching your wagon to a guy that's got such an injury history? You've got Matt Nichols, who was such an important part of the franchise rebuild, right? I mean, he was the centerpiece of the turnaround, and do you know, do you just kind of uh, push him aside in free agency, and or do you bring him back? And Chris Strebler is an interesting one because it's it's his, again his unique skill set that uh, makes him different than everybody else in the league, but. I don't think anybody in this league sees him as a number one. I think they see him as a, uh, you know, a, a guy that again gives you a different look offensively, and is it would be part of a quarterback tandem. So um, I think if you commit to Chris Strebler, you've got to have a clear cut number one. So all kinds of questions. And then look, who's to say that uh, one of the guys that might be a free agent if we get this far? In February, he might not be on the radar, too. Jeremiah Mazzoli and Nick Arbuckle, all kinds of possibilities right now. And I don't think, uh, to be honest, I don't think you rule any of them out right now. Well said. Um, other than the quarterbacks, I think the next big piece a lot of people would consider his next priority is Willie Jefferson. And based on some mm-hmm. of his comments at, you know, at the Grey Cup Parade on Tuesday, it seems like Willie wants to be here. Uh, and I think a lot of fans are hoping that the team is able to get that done with him. But uh, after Willie Jefferson, what kind of where where do you go next as the priority pieces here for the Bombers to lock up? Yeah, it's a good question. Again, um, I look at some of the pieces in the secondary. Winston Rose became, you know, if not the best corner in the league, one of them. And Marcus Sales is really underrated. I think those guys are priorities. They've already, you know, we, this team went, underwent such a massive turnover on the offensive line last year. Now you're looking at a list that has Stanley Bryant, Jamarcus Hardrick, and I think Michael Couture as free agents. Pat Newfeld too. I mean, that's where, to me, that's where you start because uh, there's Canadians in there, there's tackles in there, and Bryant and Hardrick that have been so, you know, instrumental in protecting the quarterback and in this dominant run game. Uh, I'd be tempted to start uh, at the old line and then really, really, really make sure you try to get sales and, and rows back. You've mentioned Willie. That's that's a huge priority, especially the way he played in the in the Grey Cup. But so there's a handful of guys right there that you can put anywhere from one to five on your priority list and, and mix it all up. But and I don't think there's a wrong answer. But if they lose any of those guys, I think it's going to be a hit. Well, just to wrap things up here before we let you go, uh, where can people find all of your work, Ed, and uh, what kind of uh, stuff can they expect to see coming from you down the pipe in the offseason? Well, we're always busy. We're trying to keep things fresh. We don't like to go dark. We're on bluebombers.com. We had a nice piece 
there uh, today. Uh, Drew Walatarski wrote us a story on, uh, he's such, such a creative person and, and very talented. He wrote a story on just uh, what it's like to win the cup, what it means to him. We're trying to do different things. We do, our video team is just unbelievable. So we'll have lots of stuff leading up to Christmas. We usually do a top 10 stories countdown right up to New Year's. You know, the the next necklace reveal will come out sometime in in December, then you're right into free agency. And as you and I have just been talking for a few minutes, it's going to be busier than usual. There's lots to keep going. It's like a 12 month cycle now for us. So uh, we like to stay busy. We like to keep it fresh. But if you, we won't go dark. Just keep uh, clicking on bluebombers.com and you'll find all the news you need. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, where can people find you on Twitter if they want to see more of your thoughts there as well? Yeah, it's at Ed Tate WFC. Wonderful. So, uh, yeah, we keep we try to keep it going there, but our Twitter account is spectacular too. So just keep an eye on that, and they, they'll they'll put links to all our stories too. Absolutely. Well, uh, congrats on the Grey Cup win. Uh, thanks for your coverage all season long, Ed. Uh, we all appreciate it. Uh, you did a great job again this season. We look forward to seeing what you have uh, coming up this off season. And of course, thanks for making time out of your busy schedule to uh, chat with me here tonight. That's my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. Right on. And that was Winnipeg Blue Bombers Director of Content, Ed Tate, joining me here on the podcast to talk everything Bombers. Thanks to Ed for taking the time for that chat. It's always a pleasure getting to chat with him and pick his brain on all things Bombers. And yeah, so happy for him that he gets a chance to cover a championship here. Just like I'm happy for you know everybody in the city getting to experience this in their own unique way. Well, the uh, the there were the Grey Cup wasn't the only championship that took place this Sunday. There was, of course, the championship matchup for the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League. Uh, it was a league that started up this year. Ten of us participated. It all came down to fourth seed Brazilian tie facing off against eighth seed Safamod in the finals, and our champion is. Safamod from the Piffles podcast, 43.5 to 37.3. He outscores Brazilian Thai. Uh, Safamod is our champion for year one of the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy Challenge. And, uh, well, what better way to uh, to congratulate him than to bring him here on the podcast and, uh, and chat about his season and his championship run and uh, see how he's celebrating it. So without further ado, let's jump right into that. Well, we've been talking about champions thus far the entire time, so we might as well continue that and bring in another champion. Uh, This one hasn't quite been 29 years in the making. Uh, The drought is over after a total of zero years as we welcome in the champion of the CFPN Fantasy Challenge, Safmod from the Piffles Podcast. Steve, how's it going? You know what? You were you were wrong. That my drought for fantasy football has gone on for thirty four years. I've never won a fantasy football title until last Sunday. Oh wow, wow! I've lost in I've lost in the title game more times than I can count, and usually in thirteenth man style fashion. But I've never won before. Well, uh, well, congratulations then on ending that <laughs> drought. I didn't realize it was that long. That's it. Was a good one. Uh, I should I should have partied like Chris Strebler. Yeah, yeah, I was fully expecting you to show up for this podcast wearing your fur coat, your aviators, <laughs> and uh, and your jorts. 
Maybe you are. I don't know. It's it's an audio podcast. I wouldn't know. Anyways, yes, inaugural season of the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy Challenge. You come into the playoffs in the eighth and final seed after a nine and twelve regular season. Uh, you knock off number one seed Travis Curra in round one. You knock off me, the second seed, in round two. Still a little bitter about that, by the way, but I'll, I'll let it slide. And then you knock off Brazilian tie in fourth seed in the finals. Uh, su- sum up the season here for us. You know what? It felt a lot like the Bombers season. It was a lot, there was a lot of up and down. I was riding riding high at the beginning of the year, and then I had to squeak into the playoffs at the end. And then, and then beating the top two seeds. You know, that's always that's always fun uh, as you as you roll through the playoffs. I, I had a lot of a lot of fun watching those last couple of weeks. Now, now, now you go into the playoffs up against Travis Curra, fifteen and six during the regular season, including a week where he was number one in the world, and another week where he was number eight. Uh, did it feel like you were facing the giant, or were you a little more confident knowing this wasn't a brisket eating contest? Man, that that was a lot of brisket we watched. You know, you know what? I I had all the confidence in the world in my team. I knew I knew they were well coached. I knew they were well put together. There were there was never a worry in my mind. I knew I just had to get to the playoffs, and, and I would take it from there. Now I'm I'm sure people want to be enlightened. How does how does one win a fantasy football championship? Was there a particular strategy you had throughout the season, or was it uh, was it different on any certain week? You know what? I can be completely honest with you. I usually picked my roster on Wednesday afternoon, and then never touched it again. I I like to stick with my gut. The only time all year I can remember changing my roster was if there was injuries, of course. But more importantly, uh, right before the Grey Cup, and that is all thanks to Ty and his strategy. I don't know if he did it on purpose, but he had me second guessing myself from Thursday night straight through till Saturday, because he told me his roster in advance. Ooh, yeah, and I, I spent, I had, I had, if I would have stuck with my gut, I would have absolutely killed him. But then I was sitting there second guessing and changing my roster and moving things around and going, I don't think this will beat what he's got. I mean, it, it ended up working in my favor, but I, I, I got to give him props for, uh, I don't know if that was on purpose. He was, uh, it was Spirit of Edmonton on Thursday night, so <laughs> let's just, let's leave it at that. Yeah, but well, uh, it was, uh, if I can give one piece of advice, don't change your roster. Yeah, I, I might need to take that into account. I, I feel like now I've wasted many hours over the last couple of months because it didn't lead to a championship victory because... I, I was the type of person that I didn't really set my lineup till before the first, like right before the first game of the week, and and then you know even after that first game, I would then go and change the rest of my lineup depending how well the first game went. And well, it all went down the drain when you beat me in that playoffs in uh, round two, thanks in large part to uh, Kyron Moore's big performance against the Bombers there. And uh, like you mentioned, you do beat uh, Brazilian tie by about six points in the finals. Uh, May have been different if he uh, started a running back that actually scored points, but I, I, I'm not yeah, going to lie. I, I got to give him props for, for trying to play Coombs. You know, he, he went out on a limb and it could have paid off because Coombs had some yards and some points in the uh, in the semifinal or in the Eastern final. It was a bold attempt, but there, there was no way he was outscoring Terrell Sutton. Yeah, so, you know, sometimes you try to get clever with these things. You try to outsmart other people, especially in the playoffs when it comes down to, 
you know, only so many guys to pick, right? And you're trying to think, okay, what do I do here? How do I make sure this isn't a tiebreaker? I know I squeaked through round one on a tiebreaker myself, which was, uh, yeah, that was nerve-wracking in itself. But, uh, yeah, congrats again on the victory. Uh, what, what's the plans for parties throughout the off season? Where, where Where's the uh, CFPN Fantasy Championship social happening? Well, you gotta you gotta carry that belt around with you all the time. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be having a few photo ops, and people can come see the belt. Uh, I'm thinking the occasional liquor store on a Saturday night. Just sit at the outside outside of the door and hold the belt. And if they want pictures with me, I'll be there. Yes, of course. Uh, it wasn't originally in the plans. It was originally everything was for bragging rights, and then I started thinking Grey Cup week, and you just so happened to have the same thought and had asked me about it uh, and said, I want a trophy. Uh, and then somewhere along the lines, as I started looking at trophies, it has now changed into a, a, a championship belt, um, which we'll tweet a picture out of it, uh, I'm sure, once it arrives for you. It, it, I'm looking at it right now, and I sent it to you earlier today. This thing is quite the feat. It's got cup holders on the side and everything. There, there's a good chance I'm going to be rocking that at uh, at Ryder Games next year, at least once. Probably Labor Day when uh, when Ty and Travis are are in town just to just to ride it in front of the two <laughs> two of the three I beat on the way to the title. But it, it's a it's a pretty snazzy looking belt. It it, it is. And uh, while well, we saw your CF Pod Network trading card this year had a certain belt on it, uh, will it be replaced with this one for next season? Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that belt will make its appearance on my trading card. Awesome. And and in, in probably half my tweets between now and then next year. <laughs> just hashtag everything, CF Pod Fantasy Champ. Just, just every single tweet just attached yeah. the same oh. picture to it. I'm going to give completely unsolicited fantasy advice from now until next November, just because. <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, you were at Grey Cup week. You got to take in the game there. Uh, what were the festivities like? I, I know you were a big part of the Wandering Glens going on over there. What was that like? Oh, that was a lot of fun. I got to I gotta give some props to Ryan and uh, and the Grey Cup Festival for help, for help putting that together. Uh, Ryan over at uh, the Horseman. But uh, it, it was fun just traveling from place to place and having people actually come up to us and say, are you one of the Wandering Glens? Oh, do you have any of those trading cards? Because that was what we were tweeting out every time. Come see us, grab some trading cards, get your picture. And it just took off. It was, it was insane. The media attention and everything that went with it was just a blast. Yeah, yeah, you had, and you had Kevin Glenn backing it. You even had guys like, wasn't it like Johnny Forzani was uh was backing it and yeah on thursday night we had we had to sit there rounding up all nine of us at one point at spirit of edmonton because markway mcdaniel <laughs> wanted to get a picture with us and tag uh, his former quarterback in it that, that's so incredible. we had former players the ceo or the coo of the league tweeted out pictures of it it's just the amount of, of attention it got was mind-blowing to me incredible considering yes. it would just started on wednesday like the Twitter account just started on Tuesday of Grey Cup week. Yeah, I was following along from afar, and it was like, oh, there's another hundred followers. There's another hundred. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how much it took off, and I can't, I can't wait to see what 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 we've got planned for the Wandering Gwens uh, next year. Uh, of course, on the Piffles podcast, you guys cover the Riders all season long. Uh, we're getting into the off season now. The uh, CFL free agent lists were just unveiled today. Uh, want to get your take on what we're going to expect to see a little bit from the riders quickly here 
Uh, last offseason and this offseason, to me, feel like they're vastly different because a lot of focus was, well, what are they going to do on the quarterback position? How are they going to improve this offense, all of that? Seems like we kind of have those answers. What do you expect to see this offseason? You know, I I expect to see a good chunk of that team back. When you when you have a successful season like the Riders did going 13-5 uh, and, and and playing well all season, that's going to bring a lot of the guys back. They're going to want to keep playing for that team. Plus, we've got the Grey Cup in Regina next year, which is an added incentive to get some of those guys back. But you're going to see some tinkering. There's going to be guys going down to the NFL. I know Shaq Evans, Cameron Judge, and uh, uh, Moncrief have all expressed uh, an interest in looking down south before they sign anywhere. So you're going to see a lot of a lot of new guys have to take those places and some tinkering with the roster. But for the most part, I don't expect a ton of change, which is weird. I'm, we're just so used to over the last three, four seasons under Chris Jones. Yeah. It seemed like half our roster changed every week. And now here we are hoping to keep this group together because that group is a championship-worthy team. They just needed to put it together for the last two weeks of the season. I'm I'm confident that they'll they'll put a better team on the field, and it's going to start probably at that. Uh, the biggest change will be at the defensive and offensive lines because there's a ton of free agents there. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Great season. I really didn't have any knocks against the team, and, and you have to wonder if, the, of course, that West final would have been different if. Uh, Cody Fajardo was fully healthy, playing through a lot of injuries there. Uh, do we expect him to be fully healthy and ready to go by the start of next season? I mean, we haven't heard anything, but I can't expect, or I can't see it being a, an injury that takes him through to uh, training camp. He's going to get a lot of rest over the next few months and then get ready for, you know, May June of next year. But it's it's a muscle tear, so you never really know how those heal until they do. That's the scary part. Is we, for all we know, I mean, we look at we had Jake Hardy signed last year. He went through a, a knee injury in training camp the year before, and because of a, a surgery issue, from what I believe, he was gone for a whole other year. You know, you never know until they step foot back on the field. Right, right. Uh, you, you talked about offensive defensive line where they have you know a lot of free agents that might be the biggest changeover. But if there was one position on the field that you think the Riders should look to improve on this off season, uh, what where would that be? Uh, offensive coordinator at the at the goal line. <laughs> Ooh. No, I I think uh, you know it, it's weird. I don't really see a spot that we need to drastically improve. You know, we've got quality players at every spot. If I if I could pick one, and it's weird to say this, but punting. I could see it. I mean, John Ryan, is as great as his average was, he had more single-point rouges than the rest of the league combined. Yeah. As, as fun as it is to watch one of those 70-yard punts fly through the back of the end zone, you don't want to give the ball at the 35 when you're kicking from the 50. Yeah, so he was he was good that, for at to me, least that's the biggest thing. He was good for at least one of those a game, wasn't he? Oh, if if not more, absolutely. It was it was awful. And I, I feel bad because, you know, a local boy came home, signed, was excited to play here, but it just was not the season we expected. Especially from an NFL caliber kicker. Right, right. But you saw the difference in style between an NFL punt and a CFL punt because they don't usually aim for the uh, the sidelines in the NFL. Yeah, he so does. I, I don't know if he had issues with that or what, but 
And he doesn't really need to uh, worry about outkicking his coverage too much in the NFL when mo- most exactly. times end up with a fair catch at that point. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the the Riders do there. We'll see what they do uh, elsewhere in the off season. Uh, I think it will be an interesting off season around the league. Uh, besides, you know, fantasy championship uh, celebrations. What else do you have going on uh, over at the Piffles Podcast uh, for this off season? You know, it's weird. We we spent all of last year. We did episodes every two weeks, every two weeks. And this year, we're, we're taking it slow. We're going to take most of December off, kind of get get set for next year, and just do a lot of free agent looks and see where we think people are going, where we think people are going to be coming from, and that kind of thing. But we're going to be concentrating more on on the website and articles and, and getting news out there as opposed to uh, uh, podcast episodes for a little bit. And uh, where can everybody find the website, you on Twitter, the show on Twitter, all that fun stuff? Yeah, for sure. If you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at Safamod. Uh, Our show on Twitter is at PifflesPod. And the website, if you're looking for anything we're writing, is PifflesPodcast.com. Perfect, perfect. Well, thanks for taking the time to join me here. And uh, congrats again on the Fantasy Championship. Again, a long time in the making, as you said. And... uh, well, the championship belt will be in the mail uh, in short time. I, I, I'd say I won't be bragging long, but that would be an absolute lie. I'm going to ride this all off season. You're, I don't blame you one bit. Uh, enjoy the off season, Steve. All right, take care. And that was Safamod from the Piffles Podcast, our CFPN Fantasy Challenge champion, joining us here to talk everything about his championship run. A little bit about the Wandering Glens, as we talked about earlier, and, uh, and of course, the Riders heading into the offseason here. So before we get into talking about the offseason stuff, uh, we should wrap up the 2019 season as a whole. Mike, sum up this season for us. We've talked a lot of Bombers already, so let's talk about some of the other storylines. What are your takeaways from the 2019 CFL season? Rookie coaches making a very good impression. More particular in Hamilton, more particular in Montreal. And Saskatchewan, right? And Saskatchewan, too, yeah. How did I forget that? Uh, But, you know, in general, I mean, the rise, if you want to call it that, of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, um, nobody's better than to be that good. Nobody's better than Montreal to be that good. Nobody's been in Ottawa to start 2-0 and, and, you know, lose and win one of their remaining 16 games. Um, I mean, I can't believe it. I can't also see that people uh, thought that Toronto would be uh, any... I, I, for one, didn't see Toronto as bad as they were. I mean, they were, they were in a lot of games, but they also lost a lot of games, so... To me, just how competitive one division was versus how, to be blunt, uncompetitive the other division was. Yeah, Hamilton had first locked up with, what, like six weeks to go in the season? And uh, Montreal was pretty easily locked into that second playoff spot there. Uh, Going back to our preseason predictions, uh, how did you do in your preseason predictions? Do you remember at all? I think I did. Uh, I know I was right. On my great matchup, but not the champion. But I cannot remember. 
Or did I pick Winnipeg? I, no, I think you I think you picked Hamilton to beat. Because it was Hamilton over Winnipeg. Yeah, I but Winnipeg to finish first at eleven and five. Eleven and seven. Or eleven and seven. And then Hamilton to finish first at was it twelve and six? I can't remember. I'll put it back and listen. Which you can do now because all of the old episodes are on Podbean. Yep. Uh, and that should be flowing through to the other uh, feeds as well. So on iTunes, Google Play, uh, etc. Yeah, preseason predictions. I had Edmonton and Hamilton in the finals. And I think I had Edmonton winning the cup that year, this year. So uh, not quite correct on that one. And we'll... We'll get into talking about the Eskimos in a little bit here and some certain news that came out already this week for the Eskimos. Uh, Other predictions, I think we both had Montreal finishing second in the East Division, which to some may have been a questionable prediction in the preseason, but I'm going to toot our horn here a little bit and say, yeah, we got that one correct. Uh, I did, I was actually listening back to that first episode, the preseason preview uh, this year, uh, earlier this week, and uh, I did make some bold predictions. They were wrong, but not terribly wrong. Uh, I had the Alouettes hosting the Calgary Stampeders as the crossover team. We did see Calgary slip a little from the dominance they normally achieve during the regular season, but not quite to fourth place. Uh, I did have BC finishing third in the west i think you had them finishing maybe fourth in the west or the other way around um and we both had saskatchewan in last so i think those two teams are really the biggest surprises based on what we predicted preseason wouldn't you agree yeah and i mean who could have seen that offensive line issue in bc and i think it was just a simple case of bc running out of time and losing mike riley yeah, in hindsight, did Edmonton win a game down the stretch besides the one against BC? I don't think they did, right? They, uh, I'll double, I'll double check here, but they, uh, they lost those two to Saskatchewan near the end of the season. Uh, if BC had Mike Riley, they came close to beating the Riders. They came close to beating Calgary. Could we have actually seen uh, BC make the playoffs if Mike Riley was in there? Now, one of the things that was announced a couple weeks ago already is for the Lions is that they let go head coach Devon Claybrooks. I, I think that was a mistake because I think we saw that team down the stretch turn a corner a little. And like I was just saying, if Riley was sticking around, they still had Lamar Durant who didn't go down to due to injury. Like that offensive line had picked up their game ever since they had fired uh, offensive line coach Brian Chu. Um, uh, for some reason, after that, the offensive line got better. The team got better as a result of it. And, uh, you know, they the Lions very well could have made the playoffs. And I feel like there was, could have been a lot of hope going into next year. I think it was too soon to give up on Devon Claybrooks in BC. Yeah, it made sense. And, uh, of course, maybe there's something, of course, that we didn't see that happened, you know, with the firing of Devon Claybrooks, like, to me, somebody has to sign off on having this extremely inexperienced coaching staff. Big uh, household names on the coaching staff, but very little coaching actual experience. And maybe that was the downfall of Devon Playbooks. Now, other teams that struggled this year, you kind of talked about Ottawa a little bit there. The two, the 
2-0 start to the season. They finished 3-15. and uh, It was a rough year for the, for the Red Blacks, and we've talked about it extensively already throughout the season, how... You know, the team, the, the talent just wasn't necessarily there. Uh, the offseason decisions made by Marcel Desjardins, all of the pieces they lost last offseason, last off it came back to bite them in the butt. They didn't have a quarterback this season uh, that really took over. It looked like the start of the year, maybe Dom Davis could pull something out. Uh, John Jennings got a chance. Will Arndt got in there a little bit. Um, are you concerned right now by the state of the Red Blacks as much as I am because they let go or Rick Campbell decided to leave uh, because he didn't want to continue his working relationship with GM Marcel Desjardins because they didn't see eye to eye most likely on a lot of the things that happened this past off season and the direction they wanted to head with the team. Um, I'm honestly a little shocked that Brad Sinopoli signed an extension for a couple more years there in Ottawa given how tough of a season he went through this year, given, uh, you know, he didn't really get the ball much this year. The team is struggling. The team doesn't seem to have a direction right now. So I think that's huge that they got that piece back. But I think there's a lot the Red Blacks need to do this offseason. But uh, do you agree with me? It's concerning right now, the state of the Red Blacks. It is, but it's who you're going to have to bring the coach. Bring in there the coach and then... Let's say said coach doesn't have success. General manager probably doesn't come back. Said coach is on shaking ground. And you basically restart the whole process one year from today. All over again. It, to me, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And to have a respected coach like Rick Campbell just up and out and not want to do anything with the franchise anymore, the fact that that doesn't concern... Ownership in Ottawa should be as troubling as just about every other thing that happened. Now, now, and then the third team that didn't make the playoffs, the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, it was an up-and-down season for them because I felt like at some point we got a bit of hope from the Argos. Uh, well, I got a bit of hope from the Argos, and every time I did, they just crushed my dreams and crushed my CFL pick'em record. Uh, week in and week out, you know, they, they hung around but just fell short a, a lot of times throughout the season. Uh, we got the news this week uh, from Dave Naylor, who you'll hear from yet on this episode of the podcast, uh, about it looks like they're sticking around with Corey Chamberlain as head coach for next year. Do you agree with that decision? Because to me, it's it's a bit puzzling. I don't think they have any other choice because of the coaching cap. And then you're basically restarting everything all over again. So then why why can BC, for example, go and let Devon Quaybrooks go, but Toronto can't with Corey Toronto Chamberlain? Toronto wants to build a solid foundation, I think. BC, the other thing with BC, but maybe worries me, is the impending ownership change. Are we going to be here a year from now, regardless who the head coach is? Yeah, that's fair. Because uh, David Braley looks like he wants to sell the BC Lions. And if I'm interested in buying the BC Lions, but I don't like who the coach is, or the coach is not my guy, first thing I probably do didn't control the franchise is remove the coach. So, so do you like the decision for the Argos to stick with Chamberlain just based on this reason? Because I'll, I'll say this, like we, we made a lot this season about his ridiculously long losing streak and 
yeah, I probably personally, if I were in charge, I don't know if I would bring Corey Chamberlain back based on the way he his team performed this year. It's... But I do have to say this. The Bombers, back in 2015, everybody's calling for Mike O'Shea's head, and they, they did that for several years in a row there. The Bombers stuck behind him, and I know it's been a long time coming, but that paid dividends in 2019 when they won the Grey Cup. So should teams be this quick to go and, you know, make a change? Because now this is two years in a row the Argos have changed head coaches. First it was Mark Tressman. Uh, then they fired Mark Tressman last offseason. So let's say they fire Corey Chamberlain here. That's two years in a row. Uh, we always talk about Montreal, who we'll get to that right away, finally has consistency at the head coach position after so many years where that was a big problem. Like, is this maybe the right decision just for consistency's sake in Toronto? It's outside the box thinking, right? Conventionally, oh, bad year, fire the coach. Let's, uh, let's make that a possibility. Um, but in reality... I mean, I, I think coaching cap and I think that also tells me, leads me to believe that the guy Toronto really wants is not available. And I think that guy is Michael Shea. I think we have an imminent contract extension coming for Michael Shea. I sure hope so. I think we have an imminent contract extension coming for Kyle Walters. I hope so. I also think we have an imminent contract extension coming from Wade Miller or for Wade Miller. I hope so. Because I think, to be honest with you, if the Bombers would have lost a great cup or had lost in Saskatchewan or had lost in Calgary, I think the Bombers restart the whole process. I don't know, necessarily. If they lose in the great cup to a 15-3 and Ticats team, that was the best they're in the rebu- They're rebuilding the whole process. Like, I don't I don't agree with that. Why else do you bring Zach Kalaros in? I, if so... Maybe if they lose to Calgary in round one. Maybe if they lose to Saskatchewan in round two. If, theoretically, and I don't want to spend too much more time on the Bombers right now, but if, theoretically, they lose to the Ticats, who were this tremendous beast in the regular season, looked like one of the best football teams we've seen, arguably, in the past decade, and they lose to that in the finals, is anybody, besides, obviously, the drought, you know, extending, is anybody really that upset that the especially in the bombers office that they need to go and recycle the whole team right like it was expected of them to lose they were underdogs in this game that they ended up finding a way to win but yeah i don't know so i I, maybe that's why toronto's sticking around with Corey chamber and i feel like there's some other options out there for them but, uh, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe they, uh, with the coach's cap uh, situation, maybe they want to stick with Corey Chamberlain. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's the right decision. I don't know if it's not. I guess we'll see that next year. I mentioned it already just now. Uh, Kahari Jones back with the Montreal Alouettes for another three-year extension. What do you make of this whole season from Montreal? And uh, in particular, the stuff we've had happen in the preseason with, uh, you know, Cavus Reed all of a sudden. Well, first of all, that first of all is Mike Sherman stepping away from the team a couple weeks before training camp. Kahari Jones has step in. Then Cavus Reed gets fired. 
the Alouettes make their way into the playoffs and are considered, you know, a very strong team. They do lose to the Eskimos. What a wild season for Montreal. All while they're still trying to find somebody to buy the team, they now have their franchise starting quarterback with them. They have their coach for a long time. What do you make this year from Montreal? Because it was wild. Nuts to winning the great cup. I think this is a dream season for Montreal. In the standpoint that now you've given the franchise their highest value possible. Uh, you've made that ownership bit attractive, attractable, or very attractive. Uh, you brought the fans back as evidenced by that playoff game, as evidenced by certain regular season games at the Principal Molson Stadium. So every team had different objectives and goals going into the year. The, bro- the broader goal is to... Uh, you know, win the Grey Cup, but everybody, every team has smaller goals, and I think if you look at those smaller internal goals, I would say Montreal crushed those smaller internal goals. Oh yeah, I, I would agree, uh, because for years that's been what we've been preaching is the big issue with Montreal. First of all, I thought their offensive line was much better this year. I, I think that's been a struggle over the years. Obviously, everybody talks about the the coaches. Uh, the quarterback position. I, I thought the offensive line was improved this year for Montreal. I also thought Bob Slowick did an excellent job as defensive coordinator. I, it kind of fell apart in that game against the Eskimos in the playoffs. And I know they did still give up a lot of yards during the regular season. But hey, uh, that's what Grey Cup winning uh, defensive coordinators do too, right? Uh, that's, that's Richie Hall's model right there. Bend but don't break. Um I saw a lot of that from Bob Slowick this year as well, and I thought I liked that. So, yeah, I'm high on, as I've been all season long, on everything Montreal did this year, and I'm interested to see how they tinker with this team going into the offseason because this is no longer with the Alouettes a case of where do we begin? It's how do we improve on what we have, and that's something we haven't seen over and, now, and what do we do to avoid that backward step? Absolutely. So I, they're one of the most intriguing teams to me heading into the offseason. Um, which team do you want to go to next year, Mike? We'll try to make our way through all of the teams here. Uh, Talk about Calgary. Sure. Um, obviously, they lost Bully by Metro for an extended period of time. They lost a lot of guys on the back end of that team to the NFL and other teams, retirements. What did you see as the pluses and the minuses for Calgary? Well, I mean, for Calgary, this was a bit of an odd year, right? Because we haven't seen, uh, we haven't seen Bolivi Mitchell miss extended periods of time so far at all in his career. This was really the first year, and it was almost like we didn't know what to expect with that. And Nick Arbuckle, to his credit, came in, did a bang-up job filling in for Bowie by Mitchell, and will earn himself a nice dollar in a starting job somewhere here this offseason. My guess would be in Ottawa, uh, but we'll get into the more of that a little bit later on. Yeah, it, you know, it's crazy because you go back to last year, like Calgary lost so many pieces in the offseason, so many pieces at wide receiver, especially on that defense uh, major pieces like Jameer Thurman, Alex Singleton, guys like that uh, on defense that they lost. They lost Devon Claybrooks, their defensive coordinator. Like 
We expected Calgary to take a step back this year. I had them finishing fourth in the West Division. But it's the same old thing with John Huffnagel, and it's almost not fair that they can lose half their team in the offseason and still go out and almost win the West Division, a competitive West Division, because he finds these guys that are able to fill in. Like, you look at Calgary's receiving core down the stretch, and, and this is kind of a double-edged sword here a little bit. Like, the... They had so many young guys step up and perform. Like, I'm looking at Herji Mayala. I'm looking at Josh Huff. You know, guys like that who all of a sudden came in and got a starting role that they had their moments of brilliance down the stretch. And these could be huge pieces for Calgary going into next year. Reggie Bagleton, I mean, what a season Bagleton had after he started to come onto the scene a little bit last season. It really broke out this year. Like... John Huffnagel finds those pieces that will keep making this team a competitive football team. But I do think some of those injuries caught up to them and some of those losses caught up to them a little bit down the stretch. And those those young guys at wide receiver who haven't had much CFL experience, I, I hate to say it, but one knock I had on the Stampeders down the stretch is there were a lot of dropped passes. The close games that they wound up pulling out offensively and defensively at the end of the year... The left ran out. In a big way in the playoffs. And I guess my question to you is, did the potential of of playing in the home Grey Cup game get to them in that playoffs? I actually don't think so. I think the injuries got to them. Uh, they played, they went up against the healthy Winnipeg team, punched them in the, in the face with that deep bomb from Kalaros to Darwin Adams. Um you know, the defense was a little bit out of sorts. Uh, they had no answer for Strabble, even though they knew it was coming. I think they were just generally fatigued. Bom- yeah. Bombers, I don't know. I mean, you wait for the inexperience to catch up with them, and it did. Yeah, it, it, and that's what I said there as well, right? So, I mean, still another successful season for Calgary. Obviously, Calgary fans don't necessarily think so because they're used to playing in the Grey Cup game as they did for three years in a row now. Uh, they didn't get to this year, but fully expect this team to be in the upper echelon of the league going into next year, but we'll see what free agency brings for them. Uh, let's talk about uh, the other team from Alberta. And no, I'm not talking about Winnipeg. Um, I'm talking about the Edmonton Eskimos. That's a little joke for those that don't remember the NFL preseason game that was here in Winnipeg and the t-shirts. Uh, I, I don't think I need to explain the joke, but there it is. I don't even know if I explained it very well. Anyways, uh, the Edmonton Eskimos making the big news today as we record this on Wednesday that Jason Moss is out as head coach. Uh, strong start to the year for Edmonton, as it seems to be every year. Trevor Harris and the offense come out flying early in the season. Harris goes down midseason, uh, and the team struggles a little bit while Logan Kilgore is in there, and then... All of a sudden, they blow the doors off of Montreal in the crossover playoff game, and then they get the doors blown off of them by the Ticats in the East Final. And now Jason Moss is out as head coach. I think we're not too surprised by this. Um, what do you make of Edmonton's season? I think the rating was on the wall. I think the only way Moss came back is if he won the Ray Cup. There's too many concerns with having a head coach that's off the rails um, no disrespect to Moss, but 
You didn't know when he was going to throw a data entertainer and when he was going to smile and when he was going to break the headset. Um, <laughs> it's funny because, yeah, it's true. It's concerning when you have a head coach, but you don't know how he's going to react to certain situations. And penalties and discipline, unfortunately, is another thing that did a man. And I also believe that, you know, the new president in Edmonton had a lot to do with this, too. Yeah, and to me, I mean, we've seen it over the past couple of years. The Eskimos have been one of the least disciplined teams in the league. They've taken a lot of penalties and a lot of stupid penalties, uh, big penalties that have cost them in games. And I, I I don't know how much of that falls on Jason Moss. I think certainly, you know, you, you follow the mentality your coach, I think, is fair to say a lot of times. And maybe that falls on him there. Like... Jason Moss can be a great coach. He has a brilliant offensive mind. Do you think he lands another job as a head coach somewhere? Or are we looking at him, say, maybe taking an offensive coordinator role and maybe uh, pairing up with Rick Campbell and going somewhere? Here's the thing. I think Rick Campbell and Jason Moss will go separate ways. I think Campbell goes to Edmonton. Uh, I think Jamie Elizondo goes to Edmonton with Rick Campbell to reunite with Trevor Harris. And I think Jason Moss and Combo at whoever that might be, go to BC to be with Mike Riley. Yeah, that that is a possibility there as well. We'll get into talking about the coaching. I just don't see a situation where... Jason Moss is a head coach next year, given the fact that of everything that's happened. Yeah, I'm interested to see how this is going to play out. And uh, you'll, you'll hear, we'll get Dave Naylor's take on this a little bit later on as we talk to him. Uh, about I asked him this very question, right? How do we think the coaching situation is going to play out here? So we'll, we'll save it for, uh, for his answer on that for a bit later in the show. But... Uh, yeah, and I think this year was just same old, same old for Edmonton, right? You start strong, you struggle in the middle of the season. Okay, you pick it up maybe a little bit down the stretch, and then and then it ends like this. So I'm interested to see the new direction Edmonton may take under whoever the head coach will be going into next season. Mike, let's talk about the other team in green next. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders, we picked them all to... We both picked them to finish last in the West Division ironically, because we didn't have confidence in Zach Kolaros as a starting quarterback. Well, I mean, uh, I think we have full confidence in Zach Kolaros as a starting quarterback now, but uh, who would have seen this coming? Kolaros knocked out third play of the year uh, by Simone Lawrence. Injured list, gets traded to Toronto, comes to Winnipeg, knocks off the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the West Final and goes on to win the Cup. But uh, it was almost a blessing in disguise in some way for the Riders because they now have their future franchise quarterback in Cody Fajardo. What do you make of Saskatchewan this year? Because certainly they performed a lot better than we expected. Here is the uh, interesting scenario. Going to make a bold prediction. You ready? Sure. The Riders are your 2020 Great Cup champions. Going to win it at home again? Yes. Could happen. Uh, I think they are a few players away on defense, on offense. 
on special teams, although they signed Lucius Purifoy today. But I think they're a few pieces away from really contending. My only concern is uh, they have the worst playoff record in the CFL at Mosaic Stadium at 0-2. Can they get it done there in the playoffs? As long as they avoid the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Hey, Bombers have had the first... All the first, first NHL there. win, first preseason win, first regular season win, first playoff, first Western semifinal win, first Western final win, first Grey Cup win. Let's make, let's get the repeat. Anyways, Saskatchewan, what was it? Because it, it wasn't just Cody Fajardo that made that team tick this year. Uh, the defense, I think, was basically just as good as it was the year before, and uh, the offense, I think, ticked up a little bit, and. Uh, you know, maybe we got to give some credit to Stephen McAdoo and the offensive scheme he put up. And I think you talked about this a week or two ago on the podcast already about how everybody was giving him a lot of flack for his offensive schemes last year. And he seemed to put something together this year that just worked for this team, right? Like, the, it was a good year for the Riders. They came oh so close to making it to the Grey Cup, and maybe they would have won it if they got there. Um I don't really have too many negatives to talk about from this season for for them, do you? It was a dream season for the Riders, and I think we can chalk it up for too much too soon. Ludford and Milan, a lot of the top free agents, and do everything they can to win the Great Cup at home. Assuming they have the cap space to do so. They'll find a way. Like via pre-practice squad or something like that, or no, you can <laughs> nothing prevents a player from making uh, marketing dollars, uh, sponsorship dollars, or endorsement dollars. So take a little less, get a lot more endorsement dollars, and build a really good team. Well said. Uh, we have one more team to talk about here, Mike, and that was the Grey Cup finalists the Hamilton Tiger Cats. We've talked plenty about the Bombers, so we don't need to talk any more about them quite right now. Uh, Hamilton, I can't stress enough how incredible this season was for them, how successful this team was, how well-built this team was. 15-3 and season for the Cats. They dominated on all three sides of the ball. Like, I'll put it this way. You know, before the Grey Cup, last week before the Grey Cup, the guys from the Argos fan cast brought me onto the show to uh, have a friendly discourse, a friendly debate with uh, Josh Smith from Podski Wee Wee about the Bombers versus the Ticats in the Grey Cup. How'd and, that go? Should I get my popcorn? And which team was going to win and everything. As Mike goes and makes crinkling sounds into the microphone. Nice. Getting those sick Doritos. Doritos. They were distressful time in Calgary. This podcast is in no way sponsored by Doritos. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so we had this debate, and I had a really hard time trying to explain the faults of the Cats, how the Bombers were better than them, because on paper, I don't think they were in any category necessarily, and how they were going to win this game. Now, ironically, if you go back to the Argos FanCast episode and listen to that, everything I said in that debate ended up coming out correct uh, with the, how the game ended up going, so call me a visionary, I'll, I'll take it cool but what i'm trying to get to with this long-winded point is this was such a strong season for the ticats that falls just short what do you make of it all 
purely reminiscent to child routines but were not written into the job done. But how you come up with your worst game of the season and the biggest game of the year is beyond me. Yeah, it, it almost seemed like, uh, you know, the team just wasn't ready and it was very clear early on in that game that they were being outmanned. And you did still, if you were a Ticats fan or a neutral third-party observer, have, have you know, a bit of like, okay, yeah, hope that the Ticats are going to get back into this. And frankly, I kind of wish it was a little bit closer because... Well, not well, me. The stress would have been there. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I'm glad my heart rate was only decently high uh, during that game. But you, you want a better, more competitive game for the ultimate game to take home the prize in the season. It didn't seem that way. I don't think. But when it, you turn the ball over seven times, it doesn't help you. I don't think it takes away from the Ticats' season, though. I think it just got away from them in the Great <clears> Cup. And it was those early big plays. It was that interception early on, and then there was the strip sack by Willie Jefferson. Like, that got Dane Evans off his game. Uh, he never really had to play from behind much this season, the Ticats did, for the majority of the season, it seemed. So I think that was a bit of a new experience. Maybe the pressure got to them. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. But uh, do you... I'm still in the boat that this season was a success for the Ticats. Do you feel the same way, or is the Grey Cup the loss, the end-all, be-all of this season? I'm going to go, yes, it is, because Hamilton had a franchise year. And then how did it end? Oh, a loss, what they thought in the Grey Cup. Kind of makes the year irrelevant, in my mind. There is no uh, silver linings in Hamilton. Historic year, and couldn't get it done. Remember that year you had a 15-3 record? Oh, yeah, we couldn't get it done. 15-3, and three, not good enough, didn't get it done. I'm pretty sure they would go 11-7, and seven, have a little bit more adversity, and then win the great top. Yeah, I guess if we think back to that 2001 Bombers team that went 14-4 and four and lost to Calgary in the Grey Cup, nobody particularly talks about the 14-4 and four incredible season, right? Everybody talks about how oh, you choke. Oh, that one bit got away, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... Maybe that's the storyline going forward here for the Ticats. I'll say this, and granted, free agency, a lot can happen in there. I fully expect to see the Ticats back at the dance next year. And, you know, hey, if my hometown Bombers can't go and repeat, I, I want Hamilton to end this drought soon because we got to experience isn't it this it, week. Isn't it kind of fitting? Yeah, we Hamilton got... Hamilton and potentially Saskatchewan and Saskatchewan and then just like... Like, like we, we got the chance this week here in Winnipeg to experience what it feels like to have that drought end. And I know ours was nine years longer than than it is for the Cats, but I, I, I truly hope that the drought ends soon because, you know, we had never seen a Grey Cup in our lives. There's Hamilton fans that haven't seen a Grey Cup in theirs. Like, I want, I want, I want this team to get the Grey Cup because that city, it's been a long time. A city, the city needs it. I'll say this. I hope it doesn't come at the expense of a Blue Bombers attempt to repeat. How much you want to bet your bottom dollar opening night of the 2020 CFL season will take place at IGPL between the Tat, the Cats, and the Bombers? I don't know if it will. I feel like the CFL... Oh, no, because they did have... Did they have Calgary-Ottawa Week 1? They did have Calgary-Ottawa Week uh, 1 the, last year. Yeah. yeah, that was the Dominic Davis somehow pull out the win despite yep. throwing four yep. interceptions. Game. Yeah. Um, cause I thought they were maybe getting away from that already. So yeah, I mean, the CFL schedule is or bound you to open up Saskatchewan, Winnipeg and Winnipeg. Maybe. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt the Bombers open up at home just to kind of 
have one last party before the business part of it. Let's save this for like three weeks from now when the CFL schedule comes out ridiculously early again, which it has done over the last couple of years. And we appreciate that so much. Whoever's in charge of making the CFL schedule, uh, we love that. That's an early Christmas present. Give it to us before Christmas, please. Please and thank you. We'd love to, and then, of course, well, next year we'll break down the schedule. I, I heard reports that the great up with the schedule was done already. Doesn't surprise me. Or a draft of it anyway. Doesn't surprise me. Then um, again, I have a draft of the women's lead schedule, which done already for next year, so. But it doesn't There are a lot of planning that goes into that kind of stuff, so. Yeah, especially with the CPL taking up some uh, schedules as well in some stadiums. But yeah, the Ticats, I, I think they'll be back there next year. I think they got, I, I mean, maybe it's a bit questionable. I don't think it's questionable at all, though, where they're going at the quarterback position. And we've talked about this plenty, right? As much as Jeremiah Mazzoli was so good the year before, uh, Dane Evans had an outstanding season and was uh, it's under contract for another two years. So Maybe that means Jeremiah Mazzoli is out there on the free agent market as well. We shall see. I, I think Mazzoli comes back to Hamilton, but I think Hamilton realizes they need a one-two. Is he willing to go from being an MOP quality quarterback to uh, to being a backup potentially, though? Well, here's another thing. Who knows if uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli is even ready for week one? True. He said He does say he wants to be in Hamilton. But I don't know how much that means as a backup role, right? And whether the team can afford him the money that he, he deserves, frankly. Free agency going to be a wild goose chase. And, and we're going to get into talking about all of this offseason stuff in just a little bit here. We'll talk about some of the free agents out there, some of the coaches that are out there, and some of the spots that need to be filled. Uh, when it comes to coaches, uh, we'll talk about all of that in a little bit and give our thoughts on it all. But uh, first, now seems like a perfect time to get into our final interview for this episode of the podcast. Uh, I had a chance on Tuesday, just a couple days after the Grey Cup ended, to chat with TSN CFL reporter and insider Dave Naylor to talk about uh, some various topics uh, regarding the Grey Cup, the season, and uh, and the offseason here. So we talked talked coaches, we talked a little bit about free agency, about uh, Canadian uh, football players, uh, and the, uh, the Canadian talent that's out there, and all of that fun stuff. So uh, let's get into that interview right now with uh, TSN's Dave Naylor. And now I'm pleased to be joined here by TSN football insider Dave Naylor. Dave, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Uh, first of all, thank you for taking the time to join us this evening. I, I know it's been a busy week for people like you, uh, covering everything to do with you know the biggest game of the CFL season. So greatly appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us here. Haven't stopped. Uh, haven't stopped yet. <laughs> so as well, continue. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, obviously the big storyline as of late, especially for us here in Winnipeg is that the Bombers Grey Cup drought has ended after 29 years here. Uh, take us through quickly your thoughts on, uh, the season and the Grey Cup and how it all went down. Well, you know, so there was so much focus on the quarterbacks in Winnipeg with, with, 
Matt Nichols getting hurt, you know, in August, and then Chris Strebler coming in with a sort of different kind of presence, and then the miraculous story of Zach Caleros, you know, and and somebody said to me today when I was walking through TSN said like, how, how does that happen that a quarterback gets traded that late in the year, and you know, they end up winning the Great Cup, and you know, I think the answer to it is Winnipeg was never a quarterback-based offense as much as I mean. Obviously, every team, the quarterback touches the ball in every play. So you, you are quarterback-based to some degree. But they were less reliant on the play of the quarterback. They, they ran more than any team in the CFL. You know, they spread the ball around. They did more different things. So when Zach Caleros came in, you know, what they really, Winnipeg's formula that they needed to win was protect the football, don't turn it over, uh, and run the football and play good defense. Well, look at how the Bombers won their three playoff games. They didn't have a single turnover. They ran the ball well. And their defense, you know, didn't give up more than 14 points in any of those games. So, you know, it's it's so much in football now, so much of the analysis in football just becomes about quarterbacks, which is, is really kind of dumbing it down or simplifying it to a ridiculous degree. Zach Caleros played well, but he didn't come in and throw for 380 yards a week and, you know, light up the opposition's defense and all. He protected the football. And he played well, they ran the football, they played defense. That was the story of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers with Matt Nichols. That was the story of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers when they could win with Chris Trebler. And that was the story of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers with Zach Caleros. Now, one of the big storylines that comes out of the Grey Cup is for the first time ever, we see a Canadian player in Andrew Harris take home both major awards, uh, MVP and Most Outstanding Canadian We've had numerous other Canadian players that make a big impact this season. Uh, Winnipeg's Nick Dembski among one of them. Uh, you also have the great story of uh, Canadian running back Chuba Hubbard, who's currently leading the NCAA in rushing and is in the running for the Heisman Trophy. Um, we know Randy Ambrosi has this big vision for CFL 2.0, and with that comes a lot of opportunities now, it seems, for Canadian players to go play in some other countries as well to improve skills, gain experience, and whatnot. Uh, is it just me here, or does it seem like Canadian-born football talent is trending towards an all-time high? Uh, it, it is, and, and it isn't, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, you know, when, when you look, look, there's lots of Canadians in the NFL, and there are lots of Canadians, as you say, in the NCAA, like the highest levels. You know, you look at what Chase Nichols is doing at Notre Dame. You look, at, there's going to be a lot of focus on Chuba Hubbard this weekend playing for Oklahoma State. Uh, but on the defensive line, trying to bring him down is going to be a guy named Neville Gallimore, you know, who's going to be in the NFL draft this year, who's from Ottawa. So there are. But in the Canadian Football League, I'll tell you, this is really where this came up, came to my attention, was once I learned that Winnipeg, that the Winnipeg chapter of the FRC was unlikely to give Andrew Harris the nod as outstanding Canadian on the Bombers because of his PED test, I started looking at who was going to win the outstanding Canadian. And it got really thin. You know, when you looked at the, the number of players that, especially offensively, I mean, there was Lamar Durant, you know, who at that point probably was the leading candidate for that in the league. Um, when you looked at, um, you know, in terms of offensive players, and then he got hurt. I mean, there's Cameron Judge, and but you know he's a little bit like Alex Singleton, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of his background and, and his Canadianness and things. And right. so, you know, when you start looking across the league this year, I, I don't know whether in the CFL this year we could say that it was a you know bumper crop for Canadian talent and, and sort of breaking through. Although, as you say, when you look at the guys you mentioned, you mentioned Chuba Hubbard, and and you look at you know look at the way the torch has been passed to running backs from John Cornish. Jerome Messam did, and Andrew Harris. I mean, 
you know, I, I can remember when Orville Lee played 30 years ago was a starting tailback in the league, and people thought it was you know so unusual that a guy was given that opportunity, never mind excel that he did lead the rush the league in rushing in the late 1980s. But no, I think we're seeing we're seeing more. I mean, it's funny. I'm looking tonight as we speak. Nathan Rourke is playing quarterback for the University of Ohio, and they're beating Akron 31 to three at the half, and he's thrown three touchdown passes, and he's basically the best quarterback. He's now gonna, when he finishes up at Ohio this year, he will own most of their school records, you know, at the quarterback position, it seems. So you, you do see, and, he, and the backup quarterback on that team is his brother. So, you know, <laughs> and, he's, and, and he's from Oakville. So, you know, then you've got Michael O'Connor, you know, who played, who was at Penn State for a while and, and is with the Argonauts and played some at the end of the year. So I do agree, but I don't know if in the CFL this year I would say that it was a bumper crop in terms of great seasons for Canadians. Well, let's talk coaching a little here as we get into talking about some of this off-season stuff coming up because we are officially in the off-season now. Uh, we know the Red Blacks and the BC Lions need new head coaches. Uh, some people question whether Jason Moss will be back in Edmonton. Uh, Kahari Jones is officially sticking around in Montreal, it seems. And as you reported yourself a couple days ago, it looks like the uh, the Argos are thinking of sticking with Corey Chamberlain. Uh, I imagine some of this will get sorted out fairly quickly now that the Grey Cup is over, as it tends to do. How do you see the whole coaching situation playing out? Well, I, I think, as we report, I think Rick Campbell's going to get a lot of attention, you know, as as top as uh, as the head. Uh, by the way, when I'm mentioning the outstanding Canadians in the league this year, I should have mentioned the outstanding Canadian himself, Hinoch Mwamba, who did have a heck of a season. Right. Um, and I and I guess really when I was talking about. You know, when we've talked about some of the players, I was focused a little more on the offensive side of the ball, which tends to be where more individual recognition comes. But I should mention that you have Cameron Judge, Hinoch Mwamba, you know, two good players on the defensive side of the ball. Back to the coaching thing. Uh, when we go to, um, like, I think Rick Campbell's got a good shot to be the head coach in, in BC. Uh, you know, he has he has a tie. Uh, Ed Hervey, when he was in Edmonton, of course. Rick Lalisher, he was in Edmonton. Uh, it's an appealing place to go. He was a very successful head coach. Uh, until this season when, uh, you know, I, I don't think it was a shock that Ottawa took a step back. I think it was a shock how far they fell back. But if you'd asked you know, me back in, you know, April and May, I, I think anybody who follows the league would have said, you know, they could be challenged, especially especially offensively, and they, and they certainly were. Uh, you know, when you look at Ottawa, you know, I think the people they're going to speak to, I think they're going to talk to three of the four coordinators in the game on Sunday, Paul Lapolis, Tommy Condell, and Mark Washington, I think they're going to talk to Bob Dice on their staff, who is their special teams coordinator, who, of course, has some head coaching experience on an interim basis with Saskatchewan. And I think they're going to talk to Ryan Dinwiddie, uh, the quarterback coach uh, with the Calgary Stampeders. And and the interesting one of that is, you know, I I think Ottawa has some interest in Nick Arbuckle. I'm not breaking news here and saying that the the Red Blocks have a bit of a quarterback problem. And we know that Arbuckle is going to go to free agency. Uh, and if you were to try to get ahead of that, uh, wouldn't it be a not bad idea to have his coach on staff? So I, I think there's going to be a little bit you know, of examination of whether they can pair those things up. Of course, they can't talk to Nick Arbuckle until February. But uh, since he's already declared he's going to go to free agency, you wonder with that one if you might see a, somebody trade for his rights, you know, the same way we saw the Edmonton Eskimos trade for Mike Riley's rights when he was a free agent with BC and everybody knew he was going to leave. And then you saw the uh, same thing happened with Toronto two years ago. They traded for James Franklin's rights when everybody knew he was going to free agent, be a free agent and was going to leave. And those, and those teams are just looking at those players and saying, well, if the guy's already told us he's not staying, we might as well get something for him. And I, I just wonder whether 
and I honestly hadn't thought of this until it just occurred to me as we're talking right now, <laughs> whether Nick, whether it's, you know, just, if we're just, I'm getting into off-season mode just now, guys, but the, the Nick Arbuckle, um, the Nick Arbuckle thing was, uh, you know, he, he's certainly, you know, in the same boat as those. So, you know, that's where I think Ottawa's going to go. Um, it's, it's a it's a little trickier job because the general manager is in his last year, Marcel Desjardins. I mean, you, you've had the last coach just resign because he didn't like working with the general manager, even though they were there together six years together. And the first thing I think any head coach is going to want to know uh, in that situation is, okay, before I sign up for this job, what's our plan at quarterback? Because, you know, you don't want to be in the, the same situation that Ottawa was this year where they were trying guys who really hadn't proven that they could do it. I mean, Jonathan Jennings had, but it's been a few years now, and he hasn't been able to be consistent since. Right. Uh, and what was a bizarre season? You you mentioned a lot of quarterbacks here. Uh, every mm-hmm. single starting quarterback missed time due to injury this year. We know yep. the league has a rule in place for next season in which teams will only be allowed to have two on the active roster instead of three like they did uh, up until this point. Uh a lot of fans seem concerned about this, given the injuries that happened. Uh, given what happened this season, do you expect the league to review this at all this offseason and perhaps tweak it again? And uh, we know they like to tinker with things and review things every offseason. Are there any other uh, changes we could see the league possibly making this offseason? You know, I, I don't think so. I mean, most things they tend to, once they make a change, they tend to you know, let it test drive it for a year or two. So, you know, I think there's there may be some conversations about some things with the coach's cap because again that's been in place for a year but in terms of new rules and and, and just to clarify on the, on the two quarter uh, the two quarterback thing it's not saying you can only have two quarterbacks it's saying there are only two spots on the roster designated for quarterbacks so if you want to play you know one fewer defensive lineman or one and I'm not talking about on the field I'm talking about in terms of your depth or one fewer defensive back or if you have as a couple of teams did this year, had quarterbacks that played special teams. I mean, Dakota Prukop for Toronto played special teams. Uh, I believe it was Montreal where Hugo Richard played special teams. So, you know, you could have the, your third string quarterback be a guy who plays teams, and he, and he could still be there. Uh, you know, and, and some people would look and say, okay, yeah, it does this even open up uh, an opportunity for a third quarterback to be a Canadian? Here's where I'm going with that. If you've got 21 Canadians on your roster, and the 21st Canadian on a lot of teams – doesn't contribute that much. Uh, would you rather have that be a, a third quarterback, and that could be a Canadian? So there are there is some flexibility of things you can do to have that third quarterback. It's just that you're not going to have three designated spots. You will have a quarterback, another quarterback on the practice roster. The issue is going to be paying those guys, and our team's going to have to step up and pay them more than they would just pay players on the practice roster because a lot of quarterbacks, you know, won't come. You know, if they're not going to get. They're not going to get better compensation than that. And I believe there is a, a scale coming. I mean, a lot of this stuff, a lot of the stuff that was in the CBA, uh, you know, that was written on the back of napkins at two in the morning, <laughs> we actually haven't seen. Right. We actually haven't seen in black and white. Um, and, and, and I think the teams actually just got copies of the CBA in the, within the past week. But I believe there were some measures to, you know, to make sure that the quarterbacks in the practice run are better compensated than, than other players just because of the, the fact that they can demand it. So, uh, I know. I, I don't think we're going to see a change in this regard. I think we are going to see this play through. And the, you know, the, the, I guess the, the circumstances where teams have lost two quarterbacks in one game, the league's looked at it and seen that it's been extremely, extremely rare over the last decade or so. But you know, 
you know what the reaction will be if we have a couple of instances of that in the first couple of months of the season, and that's where you could see the tweaks. Absolutely. Uh, the last couple of years, CFL free agency has been kind of crazy. Lots of players switching teams. Uh, yep. What does the landscape look like this offseason? Because we know most players in the CFL tend to sign one or two year deals, but we have also seen more guys in the past couple of years. I'm thinking Dane Evans. I'm thinking Mike Riley, Bo Levi Mitchell last year, Adam Big Hill a couple of years ago signed these three or four year deals. Is this something you expect to see more of, kind of guys committing to longer deals with the team, or should we continue to expect this kind of flurry of activity every offseason? I think we're going to see the one-year deals continue. Maybe the, you know the one and an option. I think the exception are going to be what we saw Big Hill do. And I think that the thing is that there's very few players that kind of have the leverage. You know, usually when you sign those deals, you get a sizable signing bonus up front, right? And right. you get because that's the commitment that they require. But if you're not a guy who's going to be able to to require or to be able to demand that kind of signing bonus, and the team's not making any commitment to you, because as we've seen, even if you get off-season bonuses, players get released days before their bonuses. A lot of players and agents are looking at it and saying, why would I sign a three-year deal, commit to a team for three years, if all that means is they've got me for three years until they don't want me? And that can happen at any time in the three-year deal. Why wouldn't I just sign a, a one-year contract, and then if I have a better year than I thought, I can... I can try and go back to market again and try to get somebody to pay me. Look, I'll be the first one to say, I don't think this is good for the league. You know, there's so many players, and I I wrote about this in the first month of the season, saying it's almost head spinning, right? And you you look at a guy like, you know, even somebody like Winston Rhodes, you know, great player for the Bombers, had a fantastic year. I mean, he's he's on his fourth team. He's 25. (laughs) And he's a good player. Right, like, like, how? I don't. He didn't dress with the Toronto Argonauts, but he started his career with them. Then he's in B, then he's in Ottawa. He's in BC. He's in Winnipeg. A 25 year old player with his skill set shouldn't be on his fourth team in four years. It just, it's just not. You know, that's that's not good for the league. And I mean, you look at a guy. It's another one. You're like, like Rick, Rico Murray. You know, he was on the Argonauts when they won in 2017. He played the Grey Cup for uh, for Ottawa last year, and this year he's on Hamilton. You know, like, like, I just don't think. A series of one-year contracts, but I understand why the players and their agents are doing it, um, and, and they're not going to back off this. Remember, it used to be a minimum two-year contract in the CFL, and I know a lot of the GMs weren't happy when the league gave that away in collective bargaining, you know, two sessions ago. But I don't think we're going to see a change unless the players get some sort of guarantees, because that's what they're looking for. They're saying, "Hey, if you want us to do away with one-year contracts and sign for longer, we want some portion of those deals guaranteed." And you know, that's I, I think that was one of the great frankly, failings of the, the last CBA negotiation last spring is that there wasn't really much done to to stabilize rosters and, and grant player consistency. And I think that's something the players would like more of, ultimately. The teams would like more of, and the fans would like more of. But ultimately, they, they weren't able to achieve it. Or I, I don't believe the measures they put in place are really going to affect roster stability. So, yeah, get ready to see the, uh, the carousel of free agents spin again this, uh, this winter. And final question before we let you go here, uh, Dave. Uh, obviously, I don't think many fans in Winnipeg are thinking too much about the off season right now because, well, I think the Great Cup hangover and the celebrations are going to last a little bit here. But I, I think the question in the back of everyone's minds, uh, you talked about the play of Zach Caleros and the storylines with that already. I think everybody's question is, now what? Uh, Nichols, Caleros, Strevler, all free agents this offseason. I think the past couple of weeks have made Kyle Walter's job this offseason perhaps a little more difficult, at least given him a little more to think about for sure. Uh, do you have any insight on the uh, the Bombers quarterback situation and how you think that will shape out this offseason? Well, 
Well, not a lot, and I think for understandable reasons, when they're in a play in the Grey Cup game, no one's going to tip their hand of what they're thinking about next year, right? And right. it was all about Sunday, and and I understand that. And so, but I'm so what I'm going to say here is is more my gut instinct, and and not based on any information that I've had from, from people you know around the situation in terms of you know where this could be headed, but. Look, Matt Nichols has one of the best records as a starting quarterback in Bomber history. You know, he's invested in the community there. You know, you just saw he made a donation to the hospital. Um, he, they, he was having his best career, his best year of his career at the time he was hurt. Uh, I would be surprised if he's not their priority to get back. You know, Chris Strebler is an interesting guy. He's a unique player. He's you know, a physical freak, but I don't think he's ready to be a number one quarterback in this league right now. And that's not necessarily even that much. Look, I think Strebler's a better passer that people give credit for. I, sometimes I, I hear people talking about it, and, and I, I really shake my head because I don't think he's as poor a passer as, as some people say. But most guys in this league aren't ready to be starting quarterbacks at the end of their second season. So you know, he, he's still going to have a very bright future. And I don't think the Bombers would be you know, ill-advised to go back to Nichols and Strebler. And I think if Nichols had stayed healthy all year, they could have won the Grey Cup that way. Uh, the Zach Caleros thing is intriguing, but the danger there is – Everybody still is. I think I talked to, to you know GMs around the league about him after he came in and won that first game, and the sense was there's still a bit of worry about you know could he be one hit away because of the hits that he's taken, and even if he goes to free agency this 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 winter, he's going to have to take some of his pay in playtime. You know it's not going to be a, a straight out hard money deal. Now, in four straight games and three of them in the playoffs in the Great Cup might have changed that equation a little bit, but I don't think it's changed it completely. I won't be surprised if Zach Galeros goes back to Toronto and they pair him with, say, you know, McLeod Bethel Thompson or something. Uh, you know, Caleros recently bought a home just north of the city. He got married a year or so ago. You know, I think he, he, he likes the fact that Southern Ontario, you can drive to Steubenville, Ohio in a day. So that's my instinct. But again, that's that's mostly just me looking at the dynamics and the, and the recent history of those players not with anybody whispering to me, you know, this is the plan. So that, but it, I do agree. It's a, it's an intriguing situation for the Bombers. And as much as you say, Kyle Walter's job got a little more difficult. There are a few GMs in the league that would love to have his problem. Well, Dave, I want to thank you again for taking the time to join us here on the podcast. Uh, before I let you go, uh, where can everybody keep up with all of your work throughout the off season? Uh, follow me on Twitter at TSN Dave Naylor at TSN Dave Naylor, or of course, TSN.ca will have a lot of it. And, uh, both uh, videos and, and articles and things like that, and uh, or you know, tune in on Sports Center every day. We really, we really try and stay on top of the uh, the CFL offseason news and, and turn this into a you know a twelve month season for news. And uh, you know, we we're already uh, only a couple days in the offseason already today. You know, the Kahari Jones news, and uh, we'll be looking for more news to break over the course of the next couple of weeks. Perfect. Well, I think I can speak for uh, us and a bunch of other fans when we say we appreciate uh, all of the hard work you do and. Uh, Great job during the season. We look forward to following your work in the off season. All right, have a good uh, have a good winter, and uh, we'll look forward to June of twenty twenty and the start of the CFL season. Absolutely, thanks, Dave. See ya. And that was TSN Football Insider Dave Naylor joining us here on the podcast. Uh, man, love getting to pick Dave Naylor's brain uh, on all of these different things. Very appreciative. He took time out of his very busy schedule. Uh, with everything going on to make time for us here. So thanks to Dave, thanks to Ed Tate, and thanks to Safmod earlier in the podcast as well, all three of our guests here on this episode, for joining us here on the Canadian Football Countdown. A proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. 
Well, let's get into talking about some of the off-season talk. But first, I have more stories to share, Mike. Uh-oh. Uh, so we're recording this last part a little bit later in the week. Uh, it's Saturday morning currently. Uh, there was a Grey Cup social Friday night at the RBC Convention Center for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, you know, a lot of players have gone home already for Thanksgiving at this point because a lot of the players are American. But I, I was actually surprised. There were quite a few guys still there at the convention center taking pictures, signing autographs. You could get a picture with the Grey Cup if you wanted to wait in line for about two and a half hours. Uh, the line to meet Coach Mike O'Shea was about as long. <laughs> um, it, it was a fun night. There were a lot of Bomber fans there, and it seemed like quite the party going on. Uh, highlights for me... Uh, was biggest one was probably meeting Coach O'Shea. Uh, stood in line for a little while. You know, he was stood in the same spot for three plus hours signing autographs. Like he didn't move, besides to get better lighting for pictures for people. Like some guys came, they signed autographs. Okay, time to go get another drink. I don't think Mike O'Shea moved his feet. I think it just goes to show. Uh, part of the example of why he's so well liked amongst his players, uh, we've heard to varying degrees how uh, people do, players want to run through a brick wall for Michael Shea and Chris Streveler literally will. <laughs> yeah, and but here's the other thing: it's the you want to run through a wall for the coach. The coach loves loves his market and. I know he said yesterday that there's a pretty high percentage that he's going to resign in O'Shea's words, and I think last night just reinforced that. I mean, I wasn't there, but I heard about, you know, the lineup for O'Shea, and to me that's all about a coach that wants to give back to the community and stay in the community that he brought so much joy to. Yeah, and I asked O'Shea to uh, sign the shoulder on my jersey, but he had another idea in mind. He said, can I sign the W on the sleeve? I want to sign the W. So I, I let Coach O'Shea sign the W. I figured that's the least I can do. Uh, so yeah, I got it right here on my left shoulder as I'm showing Mike. So yeah, it was a pleasure chatting with O'Shea. Made sure to thank him for you know bringing glory back to the city and you know left him with a little line of, I hope you're back next year. And like you said, I think it's very clear he's going to be. Uh, other highlights included uh, getting to meet Brady Oliveira, uh, Winnipeg boy, playing for he the Bombers. He played in the home opener, didn't play since. So Yeah, so I had a chance to chat with him. Sounds like his injury is all healed up and he's ready to go for next season based on what I was talking to him about. And uh, the people in front of me in line to see Brady were his family, actually. Um, his mom was saying this is the first time she's seen him since he won the Great Cup. <laughs> Uh oh, <laughs> he's been so busy with everything. I guess he hasn't had time to see his mom. So and his mom gets in there and is calling his grandma over and his grandma comes in. And uh, my fiance actually took their family photo. <laughs> so that was a bit of a unique, special moment to see this family reuniting after a, a Grey Cup victory. And in fairness, I don't think this family went to Calgary because he did not play in the game. Right. But in case you're wondering, I, I, I don't think that there's anything more to that. Uh, but, no, good for him. And, I mean, he's one of the guys that I feel for the most, right? He was supposed to be uh, Harris's backup, ends up breaking his light in the home opener fairly early on, as I remember. And uh, 
However, that also led to the emergence of another running back in Johnny Augustine, who was good when called upon. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm excited to see what Brady Oliveira does next season if he gets more of a role now that he's back from injury. Um, Chris Strevler was obviously the man of the hour yet again. I can confirm he does still own shirts. Uh, he was wearing a shirt for most of the night last night. Uh, huge crowd surrounding Chris Strevler. Uh, at one point, he, uh, he he claimed he's like, guys, you got to let me go. I got to go run to the washroom. But uh, if you save my spot, I promise I'll be right back here. Uh, look, my, my foot is effed up right now, but I'll get back here as fast as I can. Uh, and, and then also, you know, I talked earlier about I got a chance to meet Willie Jefferson at the uh, at the airport when when the bombers had landed on Monday. Uh, I got a chance to uh, talk to him again a little bit and uh, gave him my Sharpie so that he could sign other people's jerseys because people in front of me need, didn't have one. And, uh, well, I entered the night with two Sharpies and I only left with one. So Will, Willie Jefferson has my Sharpie now, and I hope he uses that to go and sign a new contract in short order. Okay, and I think that was a, sh- the, a Sharpie while donating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I figured, you know, you gave us the end of a 29-year Grey Cup trip. I, to be honest, I doubt he still has the Sharpie. It's probably lying somewhere at the convention center right now, but... No, and it was a great time meeting all these players and, you know, taking time out of their evenings to sign autographs for so many guys, you know. This city loves this team, and I think this team loves this city right back. And as we get into free agency talk here now, you know, we'll talk a little bit about kind of which teams we see staying status quo and which teams we see, you know, with a lot of changeover. Uh, We did have the CFL free agency list uh, revealed uh, the other day, which... Seems to be missing a couple names. If you want, if you want to speak to that a little bit, Mike. Um, yeah, I did uh, speak with a bomber's source who confirmed to us that uh, Matt Nichols was omitted from that list. So as of right now, the bombers have zero. Actually, not Sean McGuire. Sean McGuire's under contract. One quarterback under contract, and Sean McGuire. That is where we sit, contrary to uh, previous reporting. Um, I then prodded a little bit further, who to someone else, who suggested that when that report came out, that he was under contract for 2020. It was a quote complicated situation and that's all I got fair enough so let's start there let's take a brief look at the quarterback situation around the league and see kind of where where we think things are going to go here and we'll dive more into this uh, over the next several weeks in the offseason but which teams do you need to make an upgrade at the quarterback position Ottawa um BC's okay with Riley might might want to look at doing something at backup Montreal's fine as long as they've been their current stable bat and they can improve in other areas on that team. Uh, Saskatchewan, to me, maybe looking at a backup, depending how comfortable you are with Isaac Harker. Um, Edmonton, I think you have some questions at the back of quarterback position. Um, Trevor Harris is the guy, obviously. But I'm not sure about Logan Kildor. Um, 
I know they did sign uh, Bristol to a uh, futures contract for 2020. He's been around the team. Um, but again, it's that backup scenario. And in a lot of these cases, I, I think it's a backup situation that is more in flux than, than the starter situation. Um, maybe if you're Toronto, you got so many quarterbacks under contract, you look for a number one guy. Yeah, most of them are free agents this offseason as well. I think Michael O'Connor might be the only one actually under contract as of right now. So, so I, I don't know. Like, to me, and I know this gets kind of to the interesting subject matter, there's a lot being said about how um, McCall Bethel-Thompson came on at the end of last year. But I, I honestly believe that if there's an upgrade to be had out there, pinball more so, maybe not the previous regime, will look for an upgrade, and that might be in the form of uh, Ned Arbuckle or uh, even other names. But, you yeah, know. Jeremiah Mazzoli, perhaps. Yeah, so I, I, I agree with you. A lot of the moves are going to be backup positions, I think. And, uh, you, and I you think mentioned just like last year, there's going to come a time where people will need to find that Chris Strevler from the U.S. colleges because I don't think there's enough chairs to suit everybody. Yeah, you mentioned Ottawa and Toronto are the two big ones to me that need to figure out the starter situation. Uh, Winnipeg kind of needs to figure out their starter situation because, as we mentioned, Sean McGuire is the only quarterback under contract for next year right now. I think that'll sort itself out, and I think we're going to see number eight behind center. See, I don't. I think it, I think it's different, and it's interesting because everybody has different opinions. You heard the interview with Dave Dayori, you heard the interview with Ed Tate. It almost seemed like they were going in opposite direction. I think we all kind of have this unified, maybe it's just hope or belief that Chris Strebler is going to be back as number two for the Bombers because, to me, I don't think he's ready for a starting role out there quite yet. He, he has a very unique skill set, and I, I think it's not... It is as that 1B quarterback, but not necessarily for a team like Ottawa to go and hitch their entire season on. Because if you have an entire 18-game season in a row of Chris Strebler doing the same game plan he has here, I feel like teams will eventually somehow figure that out, right? It's only a matter of time. And then the other question, the only question that I have, and I realize this goes both ways with both quarterbacks, is is Matt Neto's shoulder going to be okay long-term? This is two years in a row now with an injury. Are you better off going completely off the map and going after a guy like Arbuckle? That, then that's a possibility as well. That That is a, absolutely a possibility. To me, I, I, I see it as, obviously the Bombers can't bring back all three guys. Right. Two of the three will be brought back. Uh, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Strebler being one of them. And then do you go Nichols or do you go Caleros? To me, like it, it's hard because Caleros has a, such a good feel-good story of, you know, the he comes in trade deadline 4-0, and ends the drought. How, how do you let him go from there type of thing? But we also have to remember his family, a lot of his family is in Ontario. Uh, we think he wants to go home to Ontario. I, I could see him going to Toronto, back to Toronto. Uh, as a starter there. Uh, I could see the Argos looking that way. You know, they traded him at the trade deadline, so they could get a look at him playing with the team 
that they want to build, right? Like they want to model their team in a way after how successful the Bombers were. That That's what they said at the trade deadline, right? Uh, I forget who it was. Was it Jim Murphy? Uh, John, Mur- John Murphy. John Murphy, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I got the name wrong there. Uh, had had said, you know, with all of our pieces that we have currently, we didn't feel like giving Coleros a shot down at the end of the season here would make sense. It makes more sense. It, to- it, it's... I agree with that, but it's a pit your poison scenario. What if he likes it so much that he doesn't come back? Right. And that's a possibility. But to me, you know, you have Matt Nichols, who has done such great things to turn around this franchise. He has the second highest winning percentage of a Bombers quarterback in history. And I'll tell you, like, as great as Chris Strebler's performance was in those final four games, I don't know if he did anything that Matt Nichols can't. So to me, I see it as... And part of that also plays into the first round pick that the Bombers would need to give up to Toronto if if Calero signs long term. You've already given them a third round pick. You only have a, one pick in the first three rounds of the draft then if you sign Coleros. Like, I don't know if he's far and away that much, gives you that much more than Matt Nichols does. I, I see the Nichols and Strebler combo coming back. I, I think it's a scenario where this is a good problem to have. Oh, for sure. And not nobody wants to come here. Yeah, remember our quarterback situation uh, five, six, seven years ago where it was a constant rotation? Brian Brom. Oh, no, Mike. Do not mention Brian Brom, please. <laughs> Ryan Dinwiddie. <laughs> um, <laughs> Steven Giles. Yeah, uh, the list could go on. Stephon LaForce. Stephon LaForce, Alex Brink, Max Hall. Uh, Michael Bishop. <laughs> Who else is all in there? Uh, yeah, Joey, Joey Elliott. Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they have a mainstay situation at quarterback if they can bring some of these guys back. And I don't think they have a wrong decision no. here necessarily. You mentioned it's a good decision to have. No, and it might be it might be strictly financial too. The cheaper quarterback between Kalaros and and Nichols. Nichols, just given the fact that I mean we can talk about this, but. I have some major concerns along that offensive line. They're losing a lot of people there. Um, Drew Walatarski might be a guy that you want to look at getting back. Uh, so, to me, the Bombers have the fewest free agents, but the list of free agents that they have is significant. Yeah, and looking at quarterbacks available likely around the league this offseason, you know, uh, Calgary for sure is going to need a backup because Nick Arbuckle is going to free agency. Granted, have, he... have Nando can go to the U.S. and find that guy. That's absolutely. They have Matt Cozart, who very, very well may end up being another solid backup there. Granted, he is a free agent as well. But yeah, the 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 Stampeders are going to find a backup, no problem. Nick Arbuckle will go somewhere, find a starting job. My guess, and I kind of agree with what Dave Naylor was talking about there. I could see Nick Arbuckle going to Ottawa. I could see Ottawa making a push for him and maybe bringing Ryan Dinwiddie along with them to be either an offensive coordinator, uh, head coach. Here's a scenario for you. What about Jeremiah Mazzoli to Ottawa with Tommy Condell? That's possible as well. I, I almost feel like we're going to see a pairing of coach and quarterback going to Ottawa necessarily. Granted, it won't be in writing until February. And I guess it depends how it plays out because if once they get there, like you presume they're going to get their coach first. Mm -hmm. And then the coach may be able to attract the player there, right? And and maybe that plays into who you try to approach as a coach. 
which is an interesting dynamic. Do you hire a coach so that you can attract a certain set of players? See, because that brings in another issue. Then, then you're bringing in potentially Hamilton needing a backup. Yeah, well... Because right now only Dane Evans is under contract. Yeah, and that's a big question at the quarterback position as well. Dane Evans, Jeremiah Mazzoli, I think we talked about it a little earlier on already. To me, it makes sense to stick with Dane Evans just based on a contract perspective. As much as I hate this for Jeremiah Mazzoli, but hey, this gives him a chance to, you know, maybe go into a franchise like Ottawa and turn this team around a little bit. The great cup in my mind doesn't define Dane Evans because, let's be clear, I... When Mazzoli went down at in the seventh game of the year against the Blue Bombers, had very little expectations for Hamilton with Dane Evans. Yeah, a lot of people were writing Hamilton. Let Hamil- alone 15 and 3. A lot of people were writing Hamilton's season off at that point. The only thing that I think reassured me is that game where that first game where Evans came in, they still beat the Bombers despite Evans not playing that well because the defense and the special teams played so well. Like well, that was a well-built team. Well, if you team. remember, the Bombers shot themselves in the foot. That was arguably the worst game among the 18 with all the turnovers. Yeah, and... yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, Nick Arbuckle's going to get a starting job somewhere, I would imagine. Zach Caleros might go, or Matt Nichols. I think both of them could have starting jobs. Do we, do we rule out the possibility that a guy like Caleros retires? Hey, now would be the perfect time for a guy who's suffered through a lot of injuries to go out on top. I know there is some fear out there because look at what Ricky Ray did, right? Ricky Ray had the golden opportunity to go out and retire, and then he came back. And then he came back and gets knocked out in game two against Calgary. So, yeah, I think he's on the turf at Mosaic, too, for for, uh, Calvio. Yeah. So I, I think there is that possibility. I don't see it happening just yet. I, but I, I don't either. But I want, uh, yeah. It's, it's just a suggestion, but I'm going to throw out there. Yeah, I, I, I could see quarterbacks changing places this offseason being Nick Arbuckle, Jeremiah Mazzoli, one of Nichols and Coleros, obviously. Um, of course, you have some of those other pieces. I'm interested to see maybe, like, to me it all depends on what Toronto and Ottawa are going to do because – Toronto goes out and gets someone. What happens to McLeod Bethel Thompson? I think Toronto needs to bring him back as at least a backup. But if not, I, I, I could see I would take him as a backup on my team any day because this guy lit it up this year. It wasn't fantastic all season. He had some games where he threw some bad turnovers. But how many 300-yard passing games did he have? And how much of that is the talent around him? Exactly. So you have that. You also have guys like, you know, what's going to happen with a Jonathan Jennings, who's a free agent in Ottawa? I, I don't know if he'll be back in Ottawa. And I'm interested to see who who takes a chance on giving him may, maybe a backup role here still. Because you mentioned some of these teams do need backups. Jonathan Jennings sounds like the perfect... And sorry to slice Jonathan Jennings here, but it sounds like the perfect Paul Apple's reformation project. But where does that go? And, and let's, you know, let's take that opportunity to move into talking about the coaching situation. Because that's another big topic. We, we talked a little with Dave Naylor earlier about, you know, how he sees the coaching situation shape uh, shaping up here. We have current coaching vacancies. We have Ottawa. We have BC. We have Edmonton. It looks like Toronto won't be vacant. They're going back with Corey Chamberlain. We talked about that earlier already. So we have these three spots, potential... And we have a GM opening in Montreal. And a GM opening in Montreal. So potential pieces we've heard, 
uh, on the market in terms of coaches already. Well, obviously Rick Campbell. Rick Campbell's getting a coaching job somewhere. Uh, if, if he wants it. No, he, he he's getting a coaching job somewhere. I don't think there's any question about it. And I would venture that, yeah, Ed, I, I could see him going to Edmonton just to reunite with all of his former players, like that, Trevor that, Harris, Greg Ellingson, all of them. But that, that, to me, seems eerily quiet as far as maybe we're looking at a point where Rick Campbell to Edmonton isn't a, is not as much of a slam dunk as we thought it would be. Or do we see a pairing of, like, Rick Campbell and Jason Moss going together? You know, Moss is an offensive coordinator. Campbell is head coach, reunited, going across to BC. Do we see Jason Moss go back to Ottawa to become the head coach there? We have some coordinators as well. You know, we have the couple of those guys from Hamilton, Tommy Condell, Mark Washington. You have Paul Apolise, who's getting looks as a head coach. It doesn't sound like Richie Hall really is here getting looks uh, for head coaching jobs here in Winnipeg. He is a former head coach, uh, but... No, he's one of those, with all due respect to Richie, but it's a great coordinator, but not a head coach. I, I agree with you. And The, uh, name, the name that intrigued me is Mark Killam in Calgary, um, the guy with the funky hair, I like to say, and gets fired up after every special teams play. Um... Maybe I'm curious how many guys will, how many teams will go outside the box? Yeah, like a Mike Sherman type of guy who's probably never even heard of the CFL no, outside or, the box. Or a Dinwiddie, or uh, yeah, Ryan Dinwiddie's another one there. There, there's a lot of coaches out there, and, and maybe, I mean, who would have foreseen that, right? I mean, Dinwiddie didn't play overly lots in the CFL. He did start the twenty. 2007 Great Cup for the Bombers. But wasn't he like one an outstanding college quarterback, if I recall properly? I feel like he set some college records. I I, I don't remember the stats. I haven't, to be honest, followed Ryan Dinwiddie's entire career path that closely. Dinwiddie's signature game was approximately 450 yards bringing Winnipeg back against Calgary. I remember that one. And I just remember Dinwiddie running up and down the sideline. I think it may have been 2008. I think 2007, maybe? 2008? It would have been 2008 because 2007, Dinwiddie's first start was right. the, the Great Cup. Great Cup. And Dad Barry, I remember the coach, Dad Barry. Um, Who apparently reached out to congratulate the Bombers this week. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Um and then Devon Claybrooks, does he get another head coaching job somewhere? I, I feel like somebody's got to give him another shot. Or does he fall back into the defensive coordinator role somewhere? This is the scenario, like I said, with the quarterbacks, right? Lots of people, only very little chairs. Do we see a situation potentially where, could you see this, and I'm just making this up in my brain right now, Mark Washington, defensive coordinator in Hamilton, leaves somewhere to go get a head coaching job. Devon Claybrook set, steps back in as defensive coordinator for the Ticats. Could you imagine if the Ticats get Devon Claybrooks now as defensive coordinator yet, too? I, I think it's more likely we see Devon Claybrooks go back to Calgary. It's possible. In some kind of role. Now, Brent Monson, of course, he had himself a pretty good year, all, all things considered with the circumstances there, but... You know, I, I'm just trying to think, you know, uh, this supposed La Police coaching staff is going to need a defensive coordinator. Does he maybe take a guy like Jordan Younger, who used to play for the Bo- who 
used to play for the Argos, is now a bomber defensive assistant. Um, and then, of course, it, uh, there's a lot of scenarios where it seems like Paul Apolise is the front runner among the offensive coordinators. And then you, you have everything broken up, right? Kind of tier one candidate, tier, tier two candidates. So it, it just, there's a lot of things that need some figuring out. So we have these three head coaching vacancies now. Are you willing to throw a, a name into each slot for us here? Put it on the line. Uh, there's nothing actually on the line here, but uh, who do you see? Let, let's start with Ottawa. Who's going to be the head coach in Ottawa? My guess, my, my, my best educated guess, Tommy Condell or Mark Washington. I, I'm going to throw as my name out there. I'm going to throw Jason Moss. I don't know if I don't think BC is gonna go and name Jason Moss head coach. Granted, Ed Hervey is there, so you never know. It's it's all gonna depend how the ownership group in Ottawa thinks things ended the last time Moss left. That's fair. Uh, and then let's go to BC. Who do you see slotting in the role there? As tough as it is, I I think that's Campbell's opening. Um. Just makes too much more sense. Too much sense if he's not going to. Um, this this kind of goes back to what I was spitballing with you yesterday. Is 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 Ed Hervey hiring his own successor? Could be. Because here's the thing. Didn't we hear about how Rick Campbell wanted more control of who was coming in and out? Uh, roster personnel, kind of like a Bill Belichick kind of role. At least that's what I heard. And the only way to get full anatomy of a roster is to be either a director of player personnel, general manager, and I'm not sure if a BC is all that enthused on Ed Hervey based on Obviously, he tried to hire his own guy, struck out big time. His guy only lasted one year. If things go south again, do you not look at a situation where, okay, you got Rick Campbell as your coach? Things go really, really badly. Let's say they don't get along, or let's say it's the same old, same old under Mike Riley. There's no way you're firing a coach three years in a row. There's no way that you're firing Rick Campbell after one year. Just given draft record. I think the next thing you got to look at is general manager. And I, and I think, you know, Rick Campbell as a BC head coach and general manager over time, it's not that far out of a possibility. No, it's not. Um, to me, I, I, I still have Campbell going to Edmonton because I just think the fit is too well. Like, look how good, like, Ottawa's team what, had so much success with like guys like Trevor Harris, Greg Ellingson, etc., coached by Rick Campbell. Rick Campbell knows his guys. Like that's going to be a huge selling point Edmonton has for Campbell, bringing him Rick in. Rick Campbell to Edmonton almost seems too quiet right now. Like if it was gonna happen, wouldn't it be done by now? Oh, he's probably weighing the different options, right? I, I just think maybe that's a bit of leverage that Edmonton has. You know, a chance to go back and coach his guys that he. He did have success with there. To me, the piece I have going to BC is... See, I look at BC as 
going with a guy a more of an offensive mind uh, is what BC needs there because BC had the pieces. Mike Riley, uh, John White, Brandon Rutley at running back. They had some great receivers. Brian Burnham, Deron Carter, who I know is quiet most of the season. I know he's not there anymore. Uh, you had Lamar Durant, who had a great season. Like They had the offensive pieces, but the offensive game plan just wasn't there. Like A lot of the plays, they weren't getting the ball out of Mike Riley's hands quick enough to the wide receivers. They, they so were trying to force him downfield. Granted, the offensive line didn't give them a ton of time. So I see maybe BC needing a more of an offensive mind to... And Paul Apolise has a brilliant offensive mind. Granted, he does get in his own head sometimes and outthink himself, I think. I see that as being a huge boost that the Lions are looking for. The other thing we have to wonder about, and I'm just spitballing here, I know there's nothing reporting out there, but what about offensive coordinator in Saskatchewan? Well, uh, we hear Stephen McAdoo. That's another name we haven't mentioned. Apparently, he's interviewed for the head coaching job in Ottawa as well, which is interesting to me, but... Throwing a boatload of money at Paul Appleese to be an offensive coordinator... Sounds very Saskatchewan-ish. It's possible. Does he? I mean, it's hard to. It's hard to predict these things. Like we throw these names out there, we could be completely wrong on them because you you mentioned something like that, for example. Okay, Saskatchewan throws a boatload of money at him to bring him in as offense coordinator. Well, is it much more than what Winnipeg offered him to stay, and is it enough for him to want to move? to Saskatchewan, right? Like, all of these variables are in the air. All I, these variables are also in the air, but Saskatchewan, as of right now, has no coaching staff other than Dittinson. So there's going to be a lot of coaches that change places, potentially. Kind of, kind of, kind of fit in when over half a lead is free agent. You may even say it's a coaching carousel. Yeah, I'll, although I think I would use a word bit stronger than carousel. No, coaching carousel is what it is. Uh, that's a drink, by the way, for all of you playing the coaching carousel drinking game. Uh, <laughs> if you've made it into this th- through three hours of us talking, I'm sure you've had at least one drink by now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, and congratulations for making it two hours and 53 minutes. Roughly. Did. We're almost done. We did have you your... If you really dislike us, and we will not be offended, we did out of your ear in about six minutes. Or you can turn it off whenever, right? Yeah. Like, like it's a podcast. You, what are these guys talking about? Click. Delete. Unsubscribe. Our job here is done. No, but in all seriousness, thank you to those that have subscribed. Thank you to those that listen to this podcast and send us comments. We, we may agree to disagree, but... That's the point of a podcast. Absolutely. And yeah, 100 episodes. I, I can't believe we're we're here at 100 episodes already. Uh, looking forward to the next 100. Uh, let's, let's see. Boy, three-hour podcast for episode 100. Does that mean we're going six hours for 200? I don't know. Maybe if the Bombers repeat. Well, I guess episode 200 won't be next season. Maybe if they repeat for the next five years, we'll do a six-hour six hour 200th episode. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. Let's, let's not get carried away. Um, as we begin to wrap things up here, uh, let's talk a little bit maybe about what we've got going on this off-season, Mike. Uh, what What is our schedule looking like for the next little while? Well, it sounds like in discussions that we will be disappearing in December. <laughs> 
bringing out some fresh content in January. Uh, once Great Cup stuff settles down, uh, celebrations I think winding down this afternoon, but there might be occasional event here and there. But just with Christmas and everything wrapping up for the end of the year, um, it's a good idea, but we probably take uh, December away from a podcast. Um, continue to rewatch the Great Cup on <laughs> How many times have you watched it by this point Saturday morning? Ah. Uh, I watched it twice completely, <laughs> and I combed through it another twice. Oh, jeez! And tell you what, you uh, you get the same emotions. Uh, is it really? Did it really happen? And yes, Winnipeg, it did happen. Uh, this whole week has not been a been a dream. It's uh, a dream come true. Right. Right. And, you know, here's the interesting thing, and I just want to speak to people in Hamilton. I can honestly say that being on a long drought has made this week in Winnipeg uh, extra special. Um, 29 years of pent-up frustration, emotion, uh, older people crying, people sharing it with Elderly loved ones that, you know, never fought the Bombers with one at Rachel up in their lifetime. Trust me, when this comes to Hamilton, if and when they end this drought, and I think it can be relatively soon. I, I think you need, you need to learn one painful lesson before hopping over the... Hopping over 2014 the, wasn't painful enough with that penalty? Well, it, it's, it's interesting, right? Because it's a completely different coaching staff, but... I, I just looked at it from the Bombers' perspective. We lost in the West Final last year in Calgary. We were able to overcome that. Basically, we were able to win in the stadiums that they were... Their nemesis stadiums in Calgary, where they haven't had much success until this year. And in Saskatchewan, where they've seemingly won more playoff games in there than the Riders. Uh, but... I mean, I don't mean to poke fun at that, but what what I'm trying to say is... I mean, every team in the CFL has a better playoff win record at Mosaic than the Riders. True. I'll, but, po- I'll poke fun at that. But, <laughs> but no, the, the fact of the matter is uh, Hamilton, when this drought ends, it is going to be special. And I, I, I still can't quantify the benefits of what I've seen in the last five and a few hour days. It, it's something <clears throat> it's something that I never thought I would see, especially not this year, but everything that has happened to the Blue Bombers this year, and it's been well documented on this podcast. Uh, I think back to the podcast we did after that, Saskatchewan loss in October. Oh my gosh, that was the worst episode we've ever done. Which was based on pure emotion and frustration, and I think emulates Bomber fans year after year after year, and they say, maybe next year. But I'll tell you what, next year we're defending the Great Cup Championship, and yeah, it's going to happen to Hamilton, and when it does, it's going to be something special. Yeah, well said, well said. Uh, yeah, 
you mentioned off season, taking the month of December off. Uh, I know you have a pretty busy schedule in December. If we get a lot of news coming out over the next couple of weeks, I may I may hop on here, bring on a guest or two to break that down. We'll see if yeah, we can, we, just, we'll see if we can work something out with you. But I can make myself available. But we, we will see. Uh, as of right now, nothing scheduled for the rest of the Dece- uh, rest of December. When we come back in January, we'll start getting into probably covering some more of this offseason news because I think we'll get a lot of coaching news, a lot of free agency news over the uh, next couple months or so leading into free agency, which I believe kicks off February 11th. Uh, and, and then typically over the past couple offseasons, we, we, we've gone a bit quiet after free agency. Uh, come March, uh, you know, once the news dies down a little bit, we, we've started to go away slightly. Uh, just of lack of things to cover. So we have stuff planned for that. We'll, we'll be pre-recording a bunch of stuff. Uh, so stay tuned. We will be with you throughout the offseason this year. And uh, Mike, just just the final thing to say here before I do the usual closing uh, wrap-up spiel. To me, it just feels so incredible that I don't even know how many months ago it was at this point. I guess six, almost seven months ago, we were questioning whether the CFL season would start on time, right? Yeah. Last off season, all of the talk was on the CBA agreement. Would the season start on time? We had an incredible CFL season. We had an incredible playoff run, a remarkable end to the 29-year Grey Cup drought here in Winnipeg. This has been a special season. It has been a particularly special season for us. Uh... I mean, getting to cover our Bombers Grey Cup win for the first time and a Bombers Grey Cup appearance for the first time ever on this podcast, getting to see the Bombers win the Grey Cup for the first time in our lifetimes. It has been a special season. Uh, It's been a great season on the podcast, I thought. Uh, We've made some strides along the way. Uh, Very proud to be a member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. I can't speak enough about all of the great stuff the network has done all season long, whether it's weekly podcast, whether it's charity fundraisers, you know, this is a great group of guys uh, who are just passionate CFL fans, just like us, just like, you know, a lot of people out there that are listening to it. Uh, At the end of the day, that's what we all are, right? Everybody here is a fan of the CFL. and, And I think this season just proved why we are fans of the CFL because of this league is so great because of you know, the excitement on the field, a lot of games ended in the final three minutes or were decided in the final three minutes this season. We had a thrilling run throughout the playoffs and uh, and the league makes its player and the players are just so approachable and, and to, to fans. You know, we talked about all the experiences with Grey Cup week here and interacting with, with fans and players and everything. And I could rant for another hour, but I won't here. It's just, I'll wrap it up with this, man. I love this league. The lead, especially at the Grey Cup for me, and that was the highlight of my year outside of the podcast, just goes go to show how Canadiana this league is. And I'm begging the NFL to please take a look at this because I think your fans could benefit greatly. Absolutely. We will wrap it up here. The episode 100 of the Canadian Football Countdown. Uh, follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. Like us on Facebook as well. Uh, as I mentioned earlier on in the show, we're now uh, on Podbean. 
Uh, so you can go to canadianfootballcountdown.podbean.com. Uh, follow the podcast, subscribe to the podcast on there. Whether you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, any of those, make sure to uh, hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review or a rating on iTunes. That helps helps grow the show a little bit. We got a couple of reviews on there or ratings on there. None of them had comments yet, but we'd love to hear what you think. We'd love to hear what you think of this episode. Three hours. What do you think of it, Mike? I thought it was good. Well, I want to thank you first off, Ryan, for putting this together because I had very little time. So this is Ryan's little... Uh, Year-end project, I want to say. This this week has been exhausting. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, uh, great job on this. I had a chance to uh, already listen to some of the interviews, which I hope you guys enjoyed earlier in the podcast. And uh, Ryan deserves a lot of credit for this one. I just sit here and tell my spiel, and the rest of it, it's on the night of my raid, so... Hey, we make a pretty great team, Mike. Uh, So that will do it for this episode. Yeah, like, subscribe, review on all the podcast platforms. Follow the Canadian Football Podcast Network at CF Pod Network on Twitter as well. Uh, Thanks again to our guests earlier in the episode, Ed Tate from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, uh, the director of content, uh, Safamod from the Piffles Podcast, and uh, Dave Naylor from uh, TSN for joining us to uh, talk about various things. Uh, We hope you all enjoyed this episode. We hope you enjoyed the CFL season. Winnipeg, we hope you don't stop celebrating anytime soon. Well, let's enjoy this offseason. Let's enjoy being Grey Cup champs for all it's worth. And and if we don't get a chance to uh, do another episode before then, uh, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year to all of those listening to this. Enjoy it. Enjoy all the festivities, everybody. And uh, unless something comes up beforehand, we'll talk to you in the new year. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.